wish to let me pass. Let's get into the barracks. No, no, please. Just let me pass. I go up the seventh floor to find my sister. Just let me pass. The people of 107 will do what you wish now. <coughs> Annie have died last week on these trees. In the basement of this building, we find them. I have given them the last rites. Now, you do what you will. You are stronger than us. Well, soon, I think, they be stronger than you. Let me dead walk, senores. We must stop the killing, or we lose the war. Okay out there in Marvelland, face front, this is Stan Lee speaking. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, Lee? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby. By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw a bald-headed. Hello and welcome to the satanic 7th episode of the Bullpen Bulletins Podcast, a celebration of all things Marvel. I'm Vince B. I'm David Price. And tonight, we have a very special guest in the sprawling Bullpen Bulletin studios from sunny San Diego, a guy who's way too talented for his own good. It's Mr. Pat Loika. Hello. Pat? How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Beautiful. And and you know what? It's it's a good thing we got Pat on tonight because there's a uh, there's there's a contest going on by the, by our friends over at Around Comics, and um, it's uh, they they want to show they want you to show off your Geekdom Geektorum. And man, if anybody has a Geekdom Geektorum, it is Mr. Pat Loika. This this room. If you go to the forum, if you stop by the website, bullpenbulletinspodcast.com, click on the forum, or actually you can, over on the left side, there's a banner for the Geekdom Geektorum, and it's, it's, there's a bunch of pictures there showcasing different bookshelves from Pat's room, from our buddy Papercut, Dan C.'s reading room, and um, they want you to take a picture of yourself in your reading room, wherever it is that you know you, you read your comics, and mailing it to the Around Comics guys. I actually posted on their thread over on their website at aroundcomics.com. And I just got to say to Pat, it, it's it's an amazing collection. I mean, the hardcovers you have, and it's a beautiful room. I mean, I just, I'd probably just, that would be my first stop every night coming home. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a few years worth of collecting right there. I believe and it. And it's always fun going through all of that stuff, actually. Uh, you got more busts in one room than a party at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> How long have you been waiting for that one? <laughs> I, I stayed up late coming up with that one last night. So. 
and and actually speaking of the bus, I mean, we we, we did touch upon it it um it uh, earlier. Um, I asked if if like for example, if if there's a Spider-Man in a red and blue costume or Spider-Man in the black costume, or if there's if there's a Gray Hulk and a Green Hulk, do you? Is it a personal preference as to one that you decide to get? Do you want to get them both? Is is there uh, you know is there is there a rhyme or reason behind Pat's madness to buying busts? I usually just pick up the whichever I prefer. Uh, of course, if if they release uh, something that I like better later on, I might pick up a second one of the of the same character. Okay. I usually go with whatever I have, what I, you know, whatever I like the most. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to let the listeners in on a little secret. Um, this is Pat's first appearance on Bullpen Bulletins, but it's actually his second because we recorded this episode last night, and for whatever reason, it... Uh, I don't know if we it, can use the word record. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the whole problem. It never recorded. So, uh, actually, it's Pat Loika here again for the, for the first time. That's right. Yeah, back again for the first time. Um, <laughs> You know, you have that when when you do stuff like this, but we just love the guy so much, we, we had to do it again and make sure it was right. And uh, obviously, he loves us because he, he said, "You know what? You screwed it up once before. How bad could it be a second time?" That's right. <laughs> but as, uh, aside from aside from that that beautiful room, and and Vince did say that Pat is an extremely talented individual. Oh. Um, I mean, and I have a sketch to prove it. That 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 Kevin Matchstick. Hal Jordan Green Lantern image is, is amazing. I still love it. Oh, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, the 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 gentleman also is. Are you a founding member? Is this your idea, or was it? Is, do you guys look at look, look at your studio as as a conglomerate? Um, I well, the idea was actually hatched by my brother and myself and a friend of mine, uh, Chris Mays. And uh, originally we were going to go, you know, as just the three of us. But then we decided, you know, there's a few people that we've worked with in conventions that we really like, and we thought, you know what, you know, we got, you know, we got to have them along. So we invited guys like Dave Wachter, uh, Jim Clark, and a bunch of other guys. And we formed the studio with them. And and what and the studio is Dial R Studios. Dial R Studios, yes. And and where can people find more information out about that? Um, you can visit our website at dialrstudios.com. There's uh, there's all sorts of information about all the creators there and all our projects, as well as uh, forum. And uh, we're actually doing a monthly podcast that kind of uh, gives you all the news regarding our projects, where we'll be appearing at conventions, among other things. And you know, or if you're interested in getting a commission, we'll give you info on that too. Oh, that's great. I remember uh, when we were in Wizard World in Chicago this year, and we kind of made our way to Pat's little table, and he was feverishly doing something with the markers, and, and I mean, he literally paints with color. And to see somebody get that kind of results out of a marker, it, it's just unbelievable. I think you're doing Ghost Rider at the I think, time. Yeah, I've, I've done a couple of them that, during that show. And it, it was it was just gorgeous, and the price that you were asking for it was, in my opinion, way too low. But you know, it <laughs> seems it seems to be working for you because I, I saw a bunch of Pat Loikas that weekend. Oh, thank okay. you. Yeah, there, there's a. I mean, I'm not someone that's really you know. 
out there that's well known, so I don't think I should be charging anyone, you know, insane amounts for a convention sketch. I I always think that you know you you know you guys spend a lot of money just to go in, and I, I'm sure you guys want to buy other stuff. I'd rather just charge you this price. You know, I'll, I'll go this low, and you know, I'll give you the best the best thing you could get out of out of uh, that amount. It's well worth it. I mean, yeah. you could either spend, you know, ten or, or fifteen dollars on a Pat Loika sketch, or go over to the concession stand and buy a hot dog and a soda for twenty bucks. So, I think you know which one is better. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The uh, and and I mean, I think, I mean, at, at night we saw plenty of Pat, but I think during the day, if we ever whenever we walked by Artist Alley, I saw the top of Pat's head more often than, than I saw his face. Yeah, he's, 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 he's leaned over that drawing table, and and it's and the the stuff that came out from 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 everybody over there. We 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 praise Dave plenty of times, but I mean I, the, the the work that that and don't we can sing the praises all day and all night, but the proof is there, and it's again plug in the website, go to the Remeters Raiders section of the forum, and Pat started the thread of his artwork and I'm telling you, you can't be the man works amazing he does amazing work in markers and because I always I almost always see his work in color I'm floored by this black and white Hawkeye image that he put up and it is just it's its great every image is just I mean he did he did a Defenders image he did a uh, Doctor Strange versus Ghost Rider he did he, he, he did he did both versions of Cyclops for me and it is just great stuff thank you yeah You're very I, welcome I agree. And speaking of the forum, uh, for last week's episode, I offered a Bullpen Bulletin's no prize to the person who can identify the movie from which I took those clips that were scattered throughout last episode, and none of you pathetic fools managed to get it. <laughs> um, but I disqualified Marty from the bull, from the, uh, the no prize because I knew him automatically he'd know what it was. And so... Uh, I'm right now awarding the first ever Bullpen's Bulletin's no prize to Marty Devoid for guessing correctly that those clips were from Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. My all-time favorite movie. There, There's nothing better. If you get a chance to see it, especially around Halloween, do it. It was uh, done by Bob Clark and Alan Ormsby, who later went on to do a little movie. I don't know, maybe you heard of it. Porky's. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a great movie. And the thing that really creeped me out about that movie was I lived across the street from a cemetery. Ooh. Yeah, and it's just, uh, it was the right movie at the right time. I was the right age. It's it's not a cinematic masterpiece by any stretch of the ma- imagination, but it's it's done so well and so cheaply. It's just really, really effective. And it's a zombie movie, which meshes well with what we're going to talk about tonight. Yes, 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 indeed. It's uh, it's a beautiful segue, Vincent. Yeah. So thank you, Marty, for guessing correctly, my buddy. I, I knew he'd get it. Actually, before we get into to one of the main main topics, um, I want to thank those that uh, that have posted a couple of uh, iTunes reviews over the past couple of weeks. Um, we also came across an iTunes review from uh, from the UK. So we thank we thank Adam for. Um, putting up the review on the UK music store for iTunes and um, and actually uh, speaking since we mentioned around comics before I don't know if anybody's listened to it but Sal 
Brian Salazar did a new segment this past Friday called Comics 101, and it was it, it was well done. It was just saying I wanted to say more, but I mean, there's really nothing else that I it it worked. It it was it was well put together. The topic was great, and and just it, it was about it was basically the history of GI Joe. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, that the was toy, amazing. the character. It was it was great stuff. I mean, just listening to him talk about it. But then, it, but it also it was a team effort between Chris, Sal, and Tom. But I mean, Tom just nailed. I mean, he he went into everything. I mean, he talked about the beard. He, he talked about Hasbro losing, not not getting the license for the six million dollar man, so they get their own character with the weird moving eye. It's just this is it's great, great stuff, man. Kudos, yeah. Sal. Yeah, I think Sal did a adequate job on that. Yeah, it was all right, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to give him any kind of props until he gets his ass on our show. So, yeah, Sal, you did okay. Okay, all right. <laughs> ah, it was good. He knows it was good. Yeah, and if he doesn't, he should. Yeah, and and uh, and speaking of, um, we 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 did give a quick little um, congratulatory shout out to Matt and Sarah Kramer last week for getting married. But we we did miss the um, the big announcement, which was also released in Around Comics episode fifty, and that is that um, Chris and Marta are now officially engaged. So congratulations to you two. Yeah, now you're talking around comics. Chris Neesman, buddy. Let's get that going. <laughs> yeah, when I think around comics, I think Chris Neesman. He is my man. I love him, and I couldn't be happier for him. Is that because he's talked to you on Skype? He's the only one that talks to me on Skype. No, Tom does too. Yeah, when he's bored. Well, Sal, n- Sal never talks to me, so... Sal's too busy I don't, I don't, to talk. Yeah, that's right. See, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider sign language not talking to you. It's just that one finger all the time. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he refers to me as the number one. That's all right. right. You know? Yeah. Nah, I, I love Sal, too. He's a Absolutely. great guy. I wouldn't and, waste waste my time on anybody else. Okay. All right. <laughs> and the, um, finally, actually, no, not quite finally, but we also want to... Um, urge everybody that's listening to make their way over to the to make their way over to vote in the Noisy Awards and the Noisy Awards are created were created by Derek Coward the creator of the Deliberate Noise Network you can find out more information on the awards at deliberatenoise.com slash awards and uh, we are actually eligible for the favorite new group comic podcast and by well, all how means, about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's. I, I think the emphasis is on the new because you know we we, we have less than than a dozen shows in the can. So right. um, and and once you have more than one person hosting the show, you've automatically become a group. So, which is probably why Around Comics is ineligible because they've been doing this now for almost a year. So, the uh, it's it. We're eligible for that category, but there are other categories in the People's Choice Awards. You got favorite cover artist, favorite character, favorite group comic book podcast, favorite single. So, around comics can be voted for that one. Uh, favorite single host comic book podcast, favorite new single host comic book podcast, uh, favorite group non comic book podcast, and favorite single host non comic book podcast. And there are some other other categories you can vote for as well. Uh, favorite canceled comic, 
in, in 2006, favorite DC ongoing title, favorite Marvel ongoing title. The, the, the list goes on for quite a bit, so um, stop by the website. Derek has plenty of information for you, and while you're there, check out the other podcasts under the Deliberate Noise banner. Comic Book Noise is amazing. Derek just tells you tells it to you whatever's on his mind. Derek's going to tell you about it. Um, there's a noise talk where Derek just kind of sits back and chats with, with, with another person. Uh, recently, he sat down and talked to... Um, our favorite, our, one of our favorite uh, forum posters, Maxim Glory, Mr. Rick Gordon. Um, there's. Uh, I think I could take him. You think you could? Yeah. Okay, well, you know, well, actually, I'll ask you a question in a second. There's, uh, there's the Deliberate Noise Network, which is uh, Derek being a DJ, where he'll uh, he'll play some music during uh, during for for about an hour or so. There's just. You know, if he, he loves making noise, so check out Derek's podcast. He really enjoys them. He enjoys making them, and I enjoy listening to him. But as far as Vince taking on Rick Gordon or thinking he can take Rick Gordon, we'll set up the uh, we'll set up the, the 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 squared circle at the New York Comic Con if you want, Vince. Oh, Maxim's going to be there. I believe he's going to be there. Oh, I never said that then. I, oh, okay. No, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, good man. <laughs> yes, the, the, the New York Comic Con in February. Bullpen bulletins will be there. And, uh, and, and Pat, are you going to make it out to New York? I will be in New York, yes. Excellent. And I won't bet- be on the table this time, though. I'm just going there to uh, have fun. All right. But, yeah. Even the be- if, 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 if Pat's in the urinal, ask him for a sketch. If he's in the urinal. If, yes. See if, see if oh, he's available to do a sketch. I, I, I will sketch anywhere. I will bring, uh, I'll bring my uh, drawing materials. But I won't be getting a table. Because I, I believe Artist Alley is already sold out. So it's way too late. And if you do go to the convention, make sure to stay after the convention's over. That's when the good stuff goes down. Oh, yes. <laughs> Everybody gets together. We just talk comics all night long. We occasionally drink, or as David would say, we imbib. And, <laughs> you know, we just have a great time, get to know everybody better, and just sack out. It's a really, really good time. Yes, if Wizard World Chicago is any indication, a good time will be had. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I met friends at Wizard World that I expect to have for the rest of my life. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a good way... To network and to meet people and to just have a great old time. So if you see us, we'll probably be wearing the old bullpen bulletins T-shirts by then. So we'll business cards to give everybody, so you can tell your friends to listen. And I give bear hugs, but only if you're female. So you know, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it because you're that hairy? Well, you know, they like the big, the big teddy bear kind of guys. You know, <laughs> I think that's what they tell me. But oh, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, again, another uh, place we're going to make a stop at is at the CGS Episode 200 celebration. Yes, indeed. down in down in Reading, Pennsylvania. David and I will be there. David month- will eventually be there. David's got to drive from New York. It's 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 almost a four hour drive, but David will be there. Yeah, Sean and Jim from Raising Raging Bullets will be there. Jim is yes. going, right? Yes, he is. And you know, Marty will be there, and Ian Levenstein. From Comic Timing, it's and Bruce Rosenberger it, from yeah. Comics Cast. It's going to be a great time. Absolutely. And if I forget anybody, you know, oh Amy, 
How can I forget Amy? All the way from the UK. Oh, good Lord. I hope she wears that pink tank top. Of course you do. My God. I uh, wish I could go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just want a Vince Bear hug. Oh, oh that you know, too. <laughs> you, got, you, you got one coming in New York. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go on a tiny little bit of a rant here. Yeah. Have you, did, did you read anything this week, Vince? Why, I'm so glad you asked me that, because as everybody knows, Wednesday's New Comic Book Day, and there well, was a... in the States anyway. Right, right. And there was a book released this Wednesday that I've been waiting for ever since it was first promoted, because it wasn't originally solicited with the, the books for this month, was it? No. It, no, it was... This was a late entry. Right. It was a special rush, rush this sucker to press job to make up for the delay in Civil War. And it's called um, Choosing Sides. The Civil War Marvel Comics special event, Choosing Sides, which side, whose side are you on? And judging from the cover, wh- why do you think I was so excited to get this book? Oh, let's see. Uh, was it U.S. Agent? Uh, negative. Was it Ant-Man? Uh, no, although I do like what um, Mr. Hester's doing with this recently. Uh, no, it's not Ant-Man. It's Venom, well, isn't it's, it? It's got to be Venom. <laughs> yeah. No, it's Howard the Duck. Oh. I, I, I have been a Howard the Duck fan since day one. Everybody knows I love Steve Gerber. I just love Howard. It was one of those books that just clicked with me back in the day. I, I love everything Howard. So you can imagine I was very eager to get my hands on this. And in my opinion, I think they dropped the ball with this story because the reason that Gerber and Gene Colan's series worked way back in the day was because, as Gerber put it, Howard was trapped in a world he never made. The book had a kind of off-kilter and disturbing edge because Howard, who's a duck, was injected into our world of realistically drawn humans and they were rendered by Gene in a very I don't want to say photorealistic way but Gene Colan had a had a knack for drawing human anatomy where it was very much as you would see in the real world so a cartoony style doesn't work with Howard because it it, it relegates him and the work to nothing more than a funny animal comic. And then, so they, they blew it. Ty Templeton wrote this thing, and Roger Langridge drew it. And if you're familiar with Roger Langridge's work, he did uh, Art Deco and Zoot for Fanagraphics. He's really cartoony. Uh, it's, it's in the same neighborhood as the Warner Brothers stuff. It's, it's very animated-like, and it just it doesn't work and Steve Gerber knew this so that's why when they when Howard did make a reappearance in 2002 Gerber I think chose Phil Winslade and Glenn Fabry to draw it because if you've seen their work they're very realistic illustrators the thing that works about you know the the original Howard the Duck books and uh, the 2002 Max series uh, the way Howard was drawn, he looks, you know, he looks like a funny animal, but he's, you know, this, and he's placed in a world that's, you know, like you were saying, very realistic. Right. And he, he stands out, and there's no way you could, you know, you could look at a page and not notice what's going on with Howard. But the problem with uh, 
this week's uh, Choosing Sides book with with uh, Roger Langridge's art is that pretty much everyone looks the same. Everyone looks like a cartoon, and you know Howard's just another guy. Right. So it doesn't make him anything other than the rest of the characters in the book. I mean, exactly. Be- Beverly's drawn real cartoony, and there's there's all these these pseudo superheroes lining up for registration and it just it, it looks like a Warner Brothers cartoon and that kind of knocks Howard down a few pegs more than a few pegs but I, I'll give them a little bit of credit Ty Templeton does have that some of Steve Gerber's politically fueled acerbic wit like there's there's one part where they're standing in line to register and uh, Howard says, you want to know why we have to come at the government in single file? Because if we came at them all at once, we could take them. But that, that's pure Steve Gerber. That's, I, I could see Steve writing that. And then there's a, a little part towards the end where um, Howard gets all pissed off and he says, you can't wish reality away when it doesn't fit policy. I mean, talk about ripped from the headlines. But all in all, it's it's a very, very depressing thing to look at that I waited four plus years for Howard to eventually come back and when he finally does he's mishandled but don't let that stop you from buying the book though because this issue is really solid there's a Thunderbolt story drawn by Lennel Francis Yu that is absolutely gorgeous In it, it even reminds me of Travis Charest works or Charest yeah there's a it, it has that same uh, very designy flow to it. It's it's just beautiful. Uh, Phil Hester checks in with the animal with yeah animal man animal. sorry <laughs> with with the Ant Man and there's a double page spread that's, oh, yeah. that's it, amazing. Yeah, it'll just blow you away. It's it's a very very good book. Uh, the, the U.S. I, agent story yeah. is actually well done. Uh, kind of explains some of the stuff that we've seen in the uh, previews for Omega Flight. Right. And it's actually a really good story. <laughs> and that's the thing. Another thing about the Howard story was that every one of these little chapters sets up something bigger, like the uh, Lennel Francis Yu sets up Thunderbolts. The Ant-Man naturally sets up what's going on in that book. Iron Fist, same thing. Omega Flight set up by the U.S. agent. And Howard does nothing. It goes nowhere. Yeah. It's it's just a little wry commentary on registration. So, but it was uh, but it, it, it's definitely a a civil war tie-in book. I mean, not I mean maybe not so much like um, although is, is it on the same level as like or, or more than Fantastic Four or Amazing Spider-Man is to tying into uh, to civil war. Because I mean, are, th- are these characters that we've seen a lot of in the regular? In, in the four issues we've seen so far of Civil War? Well, one of them, but I think this is going to set up the aftermath more than what's going on currently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And for those Guiding Light fans who, you know... <laughs> ju- <laughs> Both of ju- you. Yeah, just couldn't wait to see what Marvel was going to do with it. There's an eight-page Guiding Light Spidey Venom Wolverine thing in the back that, you know, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but... Eight pages seems like a lot. Yeah. They're, they're, are, are, well, I, I don't think we had to pay for those eight pages, though, so that's okay. <laughs> right. It's it's oh. the art was done by Udon. Alex Chung did the pencils, and uh, it's not the strongest 
udon art I've ever seen. It's not. Yeah, it's not one of the best uh, things udon has produced. I've seen them it's, do it's, a lot better. It's not better. Street Fighter. Oh, it's not as good as Street Fighter or their Taskmaster miniseries from a couple of years back. Okay. Or um, what else have they like done recently? Dead, they, Deadpool. They, well, they didn't ask. Yeah, Deadpool. Old, yeah. But you know, I, I don't know because I mean it's a studio, so I never know what I, they, they've done more covers than not, right? Oh, they've done they do. a lot more covers lately than they have interiors. I think so because they they actually are working with. Uh, the creators of the Street Fighter video game. Now they're officially pretty much their artists, also. So I'm, okay. I'm guessing that's keeping them busy. I'm sure. But you know, uh, despite its flaws, I think it's uh, it's a good marketing tool to get people to check out you know more comics, Marvel comics. Yes, so, that's, that's, that's that works for me. Well, yeah. Hopefully, it brings a few more readers to the stores. Yeah, yeah. And this uh, David Aja, who did the Iron Fist story, this Ooh. book this book is gonna kick ass, boy. Literally? Yeah, if it's oh, anything yes. like this. Oh, and did you see the uh, Marvel previews that just came out? Not yet. Iron Fist does not have the booties on. Well, that's what I thought. He's got these... Uh, they look like ninja boots with the... with The the, 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 the toe split? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's a double-page spread of Iron Fist kicking the crap out of Hydra agents. Ugh, gorgeous. Gorgeous stuff. And another thing I wanted to mention about this book, this Scott Colin story, the U.S. agent, I would love to see Colin's at work because he must be lightning fast. He, he's currently working on the Beyond, and this U.S. agent story is not skimpy on detail. There's a lot of detail in this thing. The, the architecture and the shield ships, and it's just, there's a lot of work to this, and which makes me wonder, how, how fast is this guy? Well, we need, you know, it, it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you could say if he's fast or if he's just got that old school mentality because was, you know, was, was Gene Colan fast? Was Kurt Swan fast? Was Neil Adams fast? Was Keith Pollard fast? I mean, they just, they knew how to do a monthly book. They knew how to get the workout month in, month out. We see so many artists these days, and our teams, they'll do three issues, and okay, oh, my, my wrist hurts, or I, that took a lot out of me, and I mean, and now I need a fill-in artist. And yeah. I can't stand that, first of all. We're not even going to get into that right now. But I mean, it's... it's I don't, so I don't know if we can really say that, that Collins is fast, or if Collins is just doing it right, because he knows how to maintain some sort of schedule. Right. It's so, it's so rare that we see somebody who's so... Who's so consistently out there month in month out that we're going to think he's fast just because we're used to everybody else right he's got that old school work ethic I hope so yeah I'm glad oh I love his stuff I think he's fantastic I mean I thought the beyond was a little loose in spots but for the most part I mean you I mean he I have the first Marvel team up trade and I think he did just about all the art in that I was in the first six issues um you said the Beyond. I never read any of his stuff when he was on the Flash, but I think the Flash stuff was a little tighter than um, just from some from other pages I've seen of the book. Um, might have been a little tighter than the Beyond stuff. He's done. He did uh, what was it? Thor, War Song, Blood, o- or, uh, Blood, Blood Oath. Oath. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And that was um, incredible. There was there was thousands of characters in that book. So yeah. So I mean, so he's not only not only is he is he putting stuff out there almost. You know, every time you turn around, there's a new Collins book. Oh, yeah. Don't he, forget uh, 
Earth, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That was a beautiful book. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. But I mean, and, and but the books he's working on, the the, the titles he's choosing. I mean, Omega Flight's going to have what uh, half a dozen characters in it. At least, I mean, just for the main story itself. Yep. And and Beyond has a half a dozen plus characters in it. He 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 worked on the Thor story. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't skimp on the um, on the titles. He doesn't you know. He's like oh, it's like the more the merrier to him. It seems. Yeah. Yep. And he knows when to step back and let the colorist help out, which is really yeah. good. Because oh, it also he, helps when you have Paul Mounts as your colorist. Oh yeah. He 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 doesn't use a lot of solid blacks. He lets the line do the talking. Yeah, right. he, he's he's very talented, and it works. It works very well. Power Records presents the Curse of the Werewolf. Even a man who's pure of heart and says his prayers at night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the moon is full and bright. The words seemed to echo in my skull. I struggled with something snarling and vicious within my soul. And when the madness passed... You! Hold it right there! What in the name of... Good Lord! The man I'd attacked was dead. Some sort of animal. But Lord, the way it runs, like a man. There was a bridge, a muddy river... I dived in, my shoulder afire, with the agony of a glancing bullet. My arm, my arm. Somehow I got away. Where am I? How did I get here? What is this place? I ran, I ran. Under the light of the bright full moon, I ran. I must find my way home. Why am I here? Why? My skin is burning. My thoughts unclear. Why am I here? But the night gave me no answer. And I felt my dark green slipping, and in a moment, I awoke. No! What? I... I'm home again. That dream. Each time I have it, the dream grows worse. It almost seemed real. Today, I'm a full-fledged 18 years old. My arm was slashed, just as it had been cut in the dream by a policeman's bullet. Suddenly, it all came flooding back. That dream... Was it a dream? Lord, what if it was real? Jack, Jack, it's almost time for breakfast. Yeah, I know, Mom. I guess I don't feel very hungry. Maybe I'll just rest in my room today and think. I had plenty to think about. I didn't know what was bothering me exactly. When evening came, I headed for a lonely stretch of beach. I felt myself fall forward. My vision blurred, and when it cleared, I saw a thing that made me scream my hand. And in the sudden brilliance of unclouded moonlight, in the reflection of a muddy pool, I saw him for the first time. And I knew, I knew. I was a werewolf. I have no way of knowing how I spent those hours before dawn. I must have wandered until the beast who was myself died. When morning came, Jack, Jack! Lord, what have you been? We've been searching for you. Jack! I heard my stepfather's words only dimly. Can you walk? Try to get you up there. Lisa, fix him some coffee. I'm okay, Dad. I'm okay. The house was warm. Lisa, you're crying. What's wrong? She can't answer you, Jack. What? Why not? 
Your sister's almost hysterical. Dad, tell me, please, what's happening? Tell you? If you'd been here, you'd know. Your mother was almost killed tonight, Jack. She's lucky to be alive. Something went wrong with the brakes of her car. She was searching for you, Jack. Searching for me? Then she must have known. And now she may be dying. And it's my fault. All mine. That's one way to see it, son. Please, Mr. Russell, the boys have said, let me be with him alone. I wish I could have said something to Dr. Allen. You're mighty tense, lad. You can't blame yourself, you know. I can't? Just watch me, Doc. He gave me a shot. Something to relax me, he said. Just as he was leaving, I heard the phone. Yes, this is Mr. Russell. Unchanged? Yes, I see. But if Mrs. Russell should awaken, please tell her we've found Jack. And then it all faded, melting into black. And when I woke, it was mid-afternoon. Mom! Lord, how could I sleep while she... I'd better get down to the hospital, find out how she is. Mrs. Russell? Sorry, son, she's on the critical list. That means no one can see her. No one. Sure, thanks. Somehow I've got to find out where she is. The doctor over there, talking about Mom. That must be her room. I'll just wait, and then... Lord! Jack? Is it you? Yeah, Mom. It's me, the professional prodigal son. What's this? Please, try a smile for Mom. Sure, Mom. Jack! Jack! Stop feeling so sorry for yourself. Your father would be ashamed. But... You never knew what kind of a man he really was. Mom, don't stop me, Jack. I won't be stopped. This is a, a part of your heritage I always ignored, pretended didn't exist. But now, I'm dying, and you have to be told. Come on, Mom, don't say that. You live longer than me. Jack, you don't understand. I've done you a terrible wrong. I've given you a curse. One that will live with you forever. A curse? I don't understand. How could you? Much like Sean Phillips in the Marvel Zombie story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's another guy who lets the line do the talking. And uh, I think David's going to do some talking about this, right? <laughs> well, I figured, you know, be, be, between between Pat's collection on display and and our show, I you know, it, it could be a play on words, but I figure the three of us seem to be Marvel zombies. And based on the time of the year with, with, with All Hallows' Eve and, and Halloween coming up, I figured it might be... A, good enough time to talk about the Marvel Zombies series, uh, five-issue mini collected back in, um, back I think in August of this year in hardcover, uh, and fear not, because if you don't have the any of the issues or their multiple printings, uh, or the collected edition that came out the first time around, in November you'll be able to pick up... Uh, a second printing of the hardcover, and about a week later, you'll be able to get the trade paperback that they're finally going to release. So, we're going to talk about a story that you may not have read yet, but in the next couple of weeks, you'll have plenty of chances to catch up on it. And, man, talk about a fun, 
fun read. I had a blast reading this, and I don't know if it's you know a lot of it has to do with the fact that I know these characters. I've been reading these characters for over twenty years, but man, Kirkman and and how fitting Robert Kirkman, the man who kind of gave the the zombie genre as far as comics go a kick in the pants. I mean, yeah, we, we had Dead World in the eighties. Um, you know, Warren Ellis had. Had black has black ass that's that's currently being put out by Avatar. I mean, you have zombie books out there, but I don't think anybody's gonna say no or or, or disagree if I if, if I want to say, you know, a, a zombie comic book and then using The Walking Dead as an example of that. I mean, you you don't get any more. It's The Walking Dead. From what I, all the Walking Dead I've read so far has just been great. Berkman has done a great story. Uh, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I I haven't read the past few issues. I know I know they um, a few people I'm sure bought it recently because they included the criminal um, preview trailer at the end of a recent issue. So I mean, I haven't read the pat I haven't read any issues recently. So if anybody if 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 Batterbins wanted to say how great the Walking Dead continues to be to this day, by all means go ahead. Um the uh you, you got Kirkman on writing and Kirkman knows zombies. You got you got Sean Phillips drawing the shit out of out of these Marvel characters. And and we've talked about criminal and we'll touch upon it again soon at towards the end of the show. Um, his style in Criminal and his style that you've seen elsewhere is probably a little bit a little different than what you're going to see in Marvel Zombies. Um, it's 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 a little different stylistic stylistically, but it's it's still it's still great stuff. I mean, it the man knows anatomy. I mean, there are scenes in this in, in this book where you see Hank Pym, or you see Black Panther. Or you see Captain America or Magneto, and and the way they're they're standing or they're posing or they're just they're in action, it's very believable. I mean, nothing is forced. You're not you're not being told to that that there's no way in hell this person could run or jump or swing like this. I mean, it, it's just it, it's just it, it's a beautiful book. It really is. I I have I laughed out loud at a lot of scenes, especially when whenever I see or read Peter Parker whining. Um, I mean, it, it, it's and and Hank Pym. I mean, we're we're gonna get into it. I mean, there's there's gonna be some spoilers, but I mean, we can talk about how it looks and how it reads. But before we get into the story and why this story was made and how it came about, I think we need to know a little bit of um, of why we have a book called Mar- Marvel Zombies. And I believe these stories started in an Ultimate title. And I think Pat's going to tell us a little bit about that. Okay, yes. It actually started in Ultimate Fantastic Four, number 21 to 23. was called Crossing Over. And uh, it actually had a lot of attention because uh, people were led to believe that the Ultimate Fantastic Four was going to be crossing over into the uh, original Marvel Universe, the 616 Universe. And... uh, they teased and they teased until the, fi- the issue finally came out. And uh, what had happened was that uh, the ultimate Reed Richards found a gateway into this alternate reality where uh, everyone in the Marvel Universe became a zombie. And uh, pretty much, the uh, long story short, the, uh, the 
the, the story arc had uh, Reed getting trapped in that universe, getting saved by the only remaining superhero who wasn't infected, and that was Magneto. And uh, it was basically him trying to find a way out, while the uh, the rest of the uh, ultimate Fanta- the uh, the zombie Fantastic Four entered the Ultimate Universe. Reed finally got you know built a, built himself a way out of there with the help of Magneto. And uh, by the time he escapes that dimension, we, uh, we he he leaves Magneto behind, and that's where uh, Marvel Zombie starts. We see Magneto right after Reed leaves. And it, it really does. It, it jumps... I mean, this is... Even though you have a book that stems from another storyline, it's it's a self-contained story. Everything you need is in these five issues. There, there, there's nothing... You don't have to... You don't have to go back and read. And, and you actually... In, in, in this edition, you, you get a quick little one-page synopsis of what went on it was fantastic for issues. So even if you did want to know a little bit about why Magneto's crawling around on the ground in this first page, you get that. But right when it starts off with Magneto crawling around on this first page, the story starts, and that's really all you need to know. I mean, yeah, there are a couple of things that um, that I'm curious about, like uh, like we see we see Thor flying around, but. Um, but instead of uh, instead of the uh, the hammer that we're used to seeing him with, he's um, he's got a cinder block uh, attached to a piece of pipe, and uh, <laughs> you know I mean I, I I don't know why, and it's not important to the story in the slightest, but it, it, for those continuity freaks or somebody that that's really interested in in why you know it, it, it's a cute little question, and and there is going to be a prequel released uh probably in 2007 so there may i I don't think that's going to be one of the topics touched but you know it's still and and another thing i love how um how we see uh shang chi he makes an appearance albeit briefly uh i mean the, the the characters that that uh and and there's nighthawk but i mean the characters that phillips decided to draw and and i mean since these these characters are in the in one panel. I don't know if Kirkman said, "Hey, make sure you you draw character X here." I mean, this might have just been Phillips having fun. I don't know. Um, but man, man, did they have fun! I mean, actually, this is this is an award-winning book because recently Spike TV had the Scream Awards and Robert Kirkman and and did you say Sean Phillips also, Pat? Sean Phillips won as best comic artist. Okay, so between between Kirkman and Phillips, they both won for Marvel Zombies, and I think it's well deserved. I mean, I it's 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 a great book. I mean, but Kirkman, going back to Kirkman for a second, the man loves zombies. He um, he eats them up. I mean, whether it's zombie books, zombie movies, he he loves it, and he even says in the intro that The Walking Dead pretty much satisfies his whole zombie writing as far as you know what he wants to write about but Marvel comes to you and they say listen we want to make our superheroes zombies and we want you to do it and he might have hemmed and hawed but he said yes and the stuff they let him get away with man I mean Vince what are some of your highlights (laughs) oh there's so many Um, to get to touch upon what you just said a little bit about um, what they let him get away with. I think uh, 
because this story wasn't set in the 616 universe, it's actually an alternate universe of an alternate universe. I think he had the luxury of not having to drag all that continuity baggage with him. And that's why it works so well, because he can basically put these characters in any situation he wants and do anything he wants to them because it's his story. These are his characters. They are based on characters that we know and love from the 616 universe, but let's face it, they're zombies. They're, they're already dead. So any kind of continuity that, that these characters had, that's over. doesn't matter. He's, he, he's, he's effectively starting from square one. And that's, I appreciated that a lot about this book because while I did buy Ultimate Fantastic Four... I didn't read it because, as everybody knows, there's certain <laughs> certain things about that book that I, I didn't like. Now it's just top of my stack. It's absolutely yeah. gorgeous under Pascal Ferry. But in the past, I didn't read it. I bought it because I, I'm a sucker for the Fantastic Four. They were my first love in the Marvel Universe, and it's the book I will always buy. Everybody has a book like that. Fantastic Four, that's my book. But I jumped into this not aware, uh, unaware of what actually led to this situation, and I didn't really have to know anything. Like you said, it he, he hits the ground running, and good old Magneto, you know, becomes zombie chow. And like you said, Kirkman does love zombies because if you are a fan of the genre, there are certain little wry little tips to the hat that he'll do to the zombie movies like when when they're chowing down on on magneto and he tells the the heroes well not heroes but what once were heroes he tells them to you know choke on them that's directly from day of the dead when uh joe Pilato, the captain rhodes character was getting killed he did the same thing you know he, he told the zombies choke on them and that's that, that's what kirkman does he he knows his source material very well and he's amazingly inventive enough to make an homage his own and that's that's what we see in this book it's just uh, a string of very very inventive situations that Kirkman puts these characters through and just when you think he's done like with poor Janet I mean she was put through the <laughs> ringer in this uh, you know she she gets her head bit off bitten off and well, we'll get to it later, but it, just when you think he can't do anything more with this character, he'll he'll push it and just do something totally surprising, totally inventive. Uh, like I said in a past episode, I don't think I've had as much fun as I did reading this book with anything in a long, long time. It's just a, an absolute joy to read, and it, it works. It, it, it may only work on one level. It's a straight-ahead zombie chew him up but that's all we really need because he he just takes our beloved characters and makes them something new and it's it's fantastic i i, I love every every chance i get when i flip to a page and i see colonel america with half his head lopped off i just start chuckling away <laughs> well you know they they get flat top haircuts in the army he just got it a little <laughs> a little too, too close. close yeah hey, but there's marvel oh yeah so captain marvel has come back only uh <laughs> Only to be a zombie. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's like you said, every page there's something. You know, it, it, it's either it would Daredevil getting skewered by an eye beam or Captain America getting the Colonel America, America getting the top of his head lopped off, uh, a demonic looking angel, uh, Hawkeye getting 
decapitated. It's just so much fun. And I, I've, oh, man. I've always wanted to see Hawkeye get decapitated, so there you go. <laughs> and how, how, about, how about when the, the Hulk turned back to Bruce oh, after eating did. the entire leg? <laughs> <laughs> and he's got the gut hanging out. He's got his guts hanging out. And, and, and of course, you know, if we... If everybody's just sitting around um, talking about how great their meal is, and here's Bruce Banner with his guts hanging out, you know, Spidey whining isn't too far behind. I just, I, I can't get enough of this whole Peter Parker. Oh my God, what have I become? I ate my aunt. I ate my my wife. And Jesus Christ, man, just want a pair already. But that's that's perfect, Peter Parker. Though yes, it is. He, yes, he it never is. never lets anything go. I like how uh, Luke Cage was just here. We go again. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And, uh, and then, and then he asked for, for for some help. He's like, you know, Spidey ends up hitching a ride with. Uh, he gets a piggyback ride from Luke Cage all the time now because he he ran out of web fluid web, web fluid while chasing Magneto and and fell down to the ground and basically broke his leg right off in half. So now he's hobbling around. And uh, and and so if he needs to get from point A to point B, he'll he'll just hitch a ride with with, with trusty old Power Man. But man, if Spider Man aside, I mean you have it. It's it's not just just zombies. There are some humans. Uh, well, I mean even after Magneto's eaten, there's still some humans. We find out that uh, that the acolytes with Fabian Cortez are hovering over the planet on on asteroid M. Uh, Black Panther is still alive, and but Black Panther is still alive only because Hank Pym needs to keep a snack around so he doesn't lose his mind completely. And basically, T'Challa is kept alive in stasis so that when when he needs it, when the time comes, Hank Pym can mosey over to his laboratory and hack off an arm, hack off a leg. And you know, just just take a little nibble here, some from column A, some from column B, and 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 keep his wits about him. Right. Which is the way I would expect a resourceful, intelligent man like Hank to behave. Yeah, he 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 knows what he needs, and he takes his steps to do it. That's a sign of intelligence. Absolutely, it, it may not be the morally correct thing to do, but again, how morally correct can a zombie be? You know, he's he's got to keep his his wits about him. So. T'Challa's uh, the Happy Meal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how happy, but yeah. Yeah. And speaking of meals, the page where all of the zombies are actually consuming Magneto, earlier in the week, David D. and I had a real short back and forth over at the Around Comics Forum on different styles of horror and which works best and I'm a big fan of implicit horror I don't need to see everything perfectly delineated on a page with all you know rendered photorealistically and Sean Phillips knows when to let the shadows do the talking because in this section you do see them ripping Magneto apart and he does get a little disturbing with the intestines and the blood but a lot of it's done in shadow it lets your mind fill in the details and I think that's even more disturbing than if he actually went in and, and drew those entrails the way entrails would look and you saw every detail in them that to me would be too cold 
it, it wouldn't be horrifying. It would be it would it's more along the lines of shocking. And I, I think they were trying to horrify with this. So Phillips is an exceptionally talented guy, and and he he, he does it with so few lines. He knows when to step back and let yeah. the let the blacks carry it. It's just. Uh, amazing work and very disturbing work. Um, Cap carrying his guts around in his hand, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's it for, and 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 a shout out. I mean, he, a huge compliment also needs to go out to Jun Chung, who, who was the colorist of the book. So um, that helped a lot. But like you were talking about with the shadows and everything, and 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 what you can see and not see. I mean, your mind, the imagination can scare the crap out of you a lot more than anything you can see or read. Right. And and I'm all I'm I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, you know, thankfully we don't see a full on face of the zombies too often. A lot of it is in shadows. Um because you just you don't need to see. He doesn't need to hit you over the head with it because by then by the end of the book you're gonna be numb. Right. I mean if we saw if we saw every little piece of detail then when we finally get to the end of Colonel America's not quite life, you know that that wouldn't be as shocking as it is. I mean, the sound effect alone can make you queasy. But I mean, and and how fitting is it that the person that does him in is like his 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 like number one arch foe? Yeah. Well, Colonel America does did always have the Red Skull on his mind, so. <laughs> But as far as the art goes, and I'm sure Pat can tell you, knowing what to leave out is just as important as knowing what to put in. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I love the fact that uh, when Galactus finally makes his appearance, you catch, besides the fact that he draws Galactus really well, he he remembers to put in, uh, he kind of obscures some of the background, he puts in the Kirby crackle in there. and yeah. uh, That's a smart man. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, he he knows how to use his shadows. He knows you know, he knows when to draw something completely detailed or he knows when he just he can just rely on doing contours and shapes and you know just imply what's going on. And you know, as, as you guys were talking about earlier when they were going through Magneto, that really that really leads a lot to the imagination. Mhm. And actually, the, the Galactus is very Kirby-esque. I mean, out of all the characters in here, you get a lot of Kirby in that Galactus. Oh, From yeah. the face, the fingers, the hands. I mean, just just the posing. He he really channeled Kirby whenever he drew Galactus in this book. Yeah. His facial expressions are priceless. <laughs> yes. That look on Galactus's face when he uh, when they, uh, he asks for a, where for where the surfer was and they just said that he ate that they ate him he, he just had that look when he just says what <laughs> it, 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 it's it's just, just I mean it, the only thing that could have made it better is if, it, if if there was no word balloon in that panel it just like took him a second to register that information and then he says what but I mean you're right that that face is just like uh, you, come again. It's just it, it really, it's it's great stuff. Yeah, I really got a kick out of the Colonel. I think the expressions that he uses throughout the book are are really cool. Like, oh, oh yeah, when he gets his head lopped off and he's he he's like, look what the punk did to me, and and he's actually he's pointing at his own head, you know. Yes. <laughs> I get double rations. Yeah, and that yeah. that that shit eaten grin that he gives to Tony 
when uh, Tony asks him, "Is there anything else you're keeping from me?" And he goes, "No, that's about it." You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about when um, when when uh, after they get the surfer's cosmic power, and um, and Captain America flies back from Wakanda, and and Banner. M- moves his uh opens up his bandages so he can get a piece of food a piece of himself that he hasn't finished digesting yet that 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 last panel on the page and and Captain America's like oh geez when did he start doing that and just just that look on cap is just especially with the teeth yeah i mean every zombie here with the teeth i mean that just the teeth alone freak me the hell out yeah and 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 on the opposite page you see you know in what other book you're going to see except maybe marvel adventures Power Man and Spider-Man playing Go Fish. <laughs> yeah. And then pa- and Power Man asks him, listen, man, you know, you're dead. No one cares about your secret identity. No one, everybody you know is dead. Why are you still wearing the mask? And Peter goes into this whole spiel about why he doesn't want to give up the mask. And, and, and Luke Cage says, right, forget I asked you, sissy. <laughs> Boy, talk about removed from the current Marvel Universe. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. And, and and since we did mention Janet, and and um, you know, as far as characters losing their heads in this book, when 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 um, we find out that Black Panther, as the story moves along, Black Panther does escape from Hank Pym, and he decides to take Janet Van Dyne with him. Unfortunately, Janet Van Dyne, or fortunately for for T'Challa, since she's more portable that way. All that's left is her head, and and this is the thing about this 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 the infection, the disease, whatever it is that's causing our car- our heroes to behave this way. It's it, it obviously messes with their minds as well because all she is is a head. She's got no body, but she still needs to eat. She wants to eat. She's begging to child to just let her have a nibble, and he's he's trying to, he's trying to reason. With a friend of his, who's just a head, and it's just like, why are you asking me to? Why are you asking me if I can let you eat me? Do you understand how crazy this conversation is? This is such a fun. This is what I'm saying. How even if you, if it's going to be, fun, you're going to chuckle at this, even if you haven't read Marvel comics in five, ten, twenty years. I mean, but as longtime Marvel readers. I got a huge kick out of this. I loved this series. I have to agree with you. Same here. It was a a fantastic book. And and for the most part, I think it kind of ends somewhat happily. Your father was a fine man. A man I met in a small Baltic state, just a student on a holiday abroad. A man I married and bore a son. Ah, Jacob, you're a big lad, eh? Big like your father, bright like your mother. Those first two years were idyllic. Yet even then I could sense some dark secret that stood between us. A secret that blossomed like some wicked fruit. And he would lock himself in the single musty tower and remain there for the... Dad, how could you? I was a fine man. Dad, in a small Baltic state, just a student on a holiday abroad. A man I married and bore a son. Ah, Jacob, you're a big lad, eh? Big like your father, bright like your mother. 
Those first two years were idyllic. Yet even then I could sense some dark secret that stood between us. A secret that blossomed like some wicked fruit once a month. When he would lock himself in the single musty tower and remain there for three days and three nights. He told me he studied his books on those nights. And for two years I tried to believe him. Until that night of the storm, when a bolt of lightning tore out the tower's side. Later that same night, in the village below... The village carpenter made his way homeward through the street. Who's... No! But he never made it home again. Aye, my lady. We need the Baron's aid, we do. Everybody knows he's the most educated man in all the land. Why, he's upstairs in the tower. This way, gentlemen. But he wasn't there, Jack. Gone! The seaman must have taken the Baron, too. On the following night, as the townspeople hunted in the northern woods... There! In the shadows! Something moved. Not just something, Jack. It was hideously deformed caricature of the man those peasants dared call. Though I wasn't there, I could hear the sound of them shooting silver bullets. I can hear that pitiful monster's cry every night, every moment I try to dream. For you see, the men came to me later and told me the horrible secret they'd uncovered. It's him. Lord, it's the Baron. My father... A werewolf? And maybe that explains it all. How I told you, Jack. I read the family books. Knew it was an hereditary curse. One that you may well have been damned with. You, or even little Lissa. And the curse? To become a man like beast. First on the night of your 18th year. Forevermore, wherever the full moon blooms. Well, Mother, you might as well know what you've probably already guessed. The curse is mine. But why did it happen to our family? Why us? I could stay there no longer. Have to get away. Jack! Blackness blistered inside of me. All I could see was the moon. The moon. Something boiled up within me. An unearthly force tore my mind apart. I was changing into a werewolf once more. As my human mind slipped away, I felt the horror. A horror I would have to live with my whole life. Unless, unless I could find out what had caused the curse. Perhaps then there would be a way out. Would a journey to my father's homeland bring the answers? Twenty hours later, and across the large expanse of Transylvania... This is it, Topaz. Rusoff Manor. Among these old books, we're bound to find some of the answers. God knows, maybe all. Jack, come here. I think I've found it. This is exactly what I've been searching for, Topaz. Here, read this. How my great-great-great-grandfather became the werewolf. It began in 1795. That's a long time ago. Into the night, I read the diary. Words penned by the first member of my family to be stricken by the curse. How I survived this past week, I shall never know it began. But I now fear the coming of each night, each full moon, for the horrors that it brings me. It began one week before, and when it shall end, I fear I will never know. Baron Rusov, I am sorry, but your wife, she's been slain by the vampire. Louisa killed by Dracula? Yeah, as um, the most disturbing zombie movies do... 
usually like in Dawn of the Dead where the zombies grow in strength and they move from one point to another point. In this one, the the zombie infestation spreads off planet. That's about as disturbing as you can get. Yeah. Um, and uh, as of the last page, uh, they have different costumes on, don't they? Yeah. And what and and what and what I found neat about that was throughout throughout my Marvel history, I consider Galactus to be one person, one being. Just like you know, I would say Vince is one person, Dave is one person, Pat's one person. I, I if I hear a name, then that's just who I think of it. But you have a half a dozen heroes at the end of this, and they are renounced as Galactus. And that took me a second to register, but it still makes sense because Galactus is the eater of planets, the destroyer of worlds. He's, Galactus feeds on a planet's life force, and when you see these 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 heroes, these these zombies coming. They're referred to as Galactus, and it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty. I mean, I read way too much into that, but I mean, I just, I just like I said, I just, I'm used to seeing when I hear Galactus, I think this large, large, very large, gigantic being, and that's Galactus to me. I could never picture Spider-Man, Iron Man, or half of Iron Man, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, one one armed Wolverine. I can't, I can't imagine them as Galactus. Like I wouldn't say Galactus is coming and think of these characters, but where else are you going to think of them? in this way except in this book right and as i was reading this when when they did take galactus down i thought well you know these aren't exactly heroes but they're actually doing the universe a favor by taking galactus out but then at the last page i'm like uh maybe not (laughs) (laughs) and i i wonder if the acolyte uh guy that t'challa threw janet van dyne at i i wonder if he was the only one in this universe to ever get a little head from the wasp <laughs> you mean that you mean that didn't beat it out of her yeah see that's the, I, I thought that went up late last night too so I figured what the hell <laughs> and it's a shame that they they removed her head from her body because that one page she has a smoking body boy oh when she's about to attack Hank oh beautiful just that's Phillips he Storm was pretty hot too I mean for a dead chick yeah yeah so, so there is a little bit of beauty in Marvel Zombies. Not much, but Not much. It, I'll tell you, the surfer was drawn beautifully. He's almost Definitely. transparent in some places, too. Yeah, just this majestic, godlike being, and he's, he, he comes down and he addresses the assembled zombies, and they're like, screw you. <laughs> just, you? And he, had, so he had such a great entrance, you know, and you know, everyone's just looking at He just came out of, of uh, he just enters the atmosphere, and he does that whole thing with the whole light show yeah you get everyone's attention he just he does this really really nice speech and then the colonel america's just what the hell are you talking about right. that's the thing about the surfer that that always bothered me he he's drawn almost angelic mm-hmm. and yet when you see him you can basically count your days you know, so he, true, he's yeah. almost like the bringer of death, but he looks he looks like an angel without the wings, and it's true. very disturbing. Although, although speaking of disturbing, thankfully, with these collected editions, you get all the little neat, neat extras, and extras for this meant you got to see all the covers for all the multiple printings of this. Fi- I mean, 
you know, for a five-issue mini, this thing had more covers than than most Vertigo titles in their entire run. Yeah. It was just, just like, I mean, you had, you had number one, first printing, second, third, four printings for number one, uh, three printings for number two, uh, I think. Yeah, that's initially what put me off this series. I, I didn't buy the singles because there were just so many of them, and, and I, I really in, enjoyed and appreciated every one of these Arthur Sudum covers. They're just gorgeous, and yeah. I, w- you know, you can read the writing on the wall when you see that many covers. That means number one, the book is gonna is very successful. Number two, because it's successful, it's going to be collected. So I just held back and waited, and I'm I'm really glad I did because, like you said, everything you could want is in this book. Without uh, without having to pay exorbitant prices for these multiple printing things, right? Absolutely, and I mean, do, do you have out of out of all the covers, multiple and and first printings? Do you have a favorite cover? Oh yeah, Pat, what's your favorite? I think I like the uh, Avengers number four cover or the <laughs> X Men number one cover. <laughs> with the what with the Cyclops angel carrying looks his own so head. Sad. Yeah, yeah. An angel looks sad, and then you see the beast who's, who's on the trapeze, and he leaves his hands behind. <laughs> and look at look at Jean. There's a little yes. bit of she's got the got the headlights going on there, even though she's dead. Yeah. See, I, that's that's what I zoom in on, and oddly <laughs> oddly enough, my favorite cover is the one on the facing page with the uh, Green Goblin. And uh, Peter Parker, and, and and he's got the fork in his hand, like he's going off to lunch. But every there's something really special about every one of these covers. Like yeah. the Silver Surfer, I think is the weakest of the bunch, and that's not to say that it's a bad cover. It's just when you compare them to all the other, what I would call great covers, it it's 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 good, but it doesn't have the punch that the other ones do. Absolutely. I mean, it's I mean, you're right. It, it's it doesn't have the punch but the fact that here's Silver Surfer and he's carrying he's he's holding on to his own head and and he's seen better days. But and, and facing one on that with with the zombie corpse uh, or actually um, she's not I don't think she's a zombie. She was eaten obviously, but you have Mary Jane in in her um in her wedding dress from yeah. the Spider Man annual. And she's still hot. Look at that. <laughs> okay, so, so now we have the necrophilia segment of the show. <laughs> I have no sh- no shame. And how, how about the uh, the homage to Fantastic Four number one, where he draws Sue a lot like the movie poster for Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. Yeah, that's that's yeah. just it's just beautiful. And then on the facing page, you got a little bit of Marilyn Monroe going there. Yeah, on that Susie, and w- w- what could be powerful enough to eat through the thing? Oof. I don't want to know about that. That's like a Mentos, right? Crunchy outside, chewy center. <laughs> the, the fresh maker. <laughs> Ain't nothing fresh about this. Uh, just a beautiful... And then, uh, as if that weren't enough, they give you the actual covers that these paintings were referenced from in the back. Yes. And who could ever think that that McFarlane uh, Wolverine Hulk cover could ever look so good? Under Arthur, <laughs> it, it, it's just beautiful. The Hulk's got an eyeball in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I think it's Wolverine's eyeball because he's only got one. Wolverine's got a couple eyeballs in his mouth too. 
Oh, you're right. Yeah. Is that virtual that's almost cow? A <laughs> yeah, really? That's like, oh my God. That's re- hanging from his mouth. It's really freaking disturbing. It really, <laughs> really is. Really, really. There's, there's, there's an eyeball motif on this. The Electra's got a couple hanging from the side. And yeah, well, I don't know if it's, they might have been Murdochs. They might have been Daredevils because yeah. they're kind of attached to the mask. And he is blind. If he wasn't before, he is now. Yeah, he is now. <laughs> yeah. And for you mutant fans, Forge is in it. So and, and watch like all the all the fifteen year olds scratching their heads like what else Forge? Oh, he's Maybe. in uh, New X Men. All right. Yeah. Well, I might have to start reading New X Men. Oh, you you should be reading it anyway. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, talk about it. And it's as inventive as this. Okay. Very good. I'll I'll do like Dan and and because he announced that he did buy the trades, I'll I'll order the, I'll actually I'll order the trades, uh, probably around the same time I order Earth X because, you know, Pat sold me on Earth X and I think Pat sold us on an upcoming Marvel Spotlight on Earth X. So oh good. <laughs> so yeah. you you can rest assured you will hear Pat again on the Earth X special. Yes, he'll be with us. Oh yes, we will not take no for an answer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, San Diego. You, won't, <laughs> you guys really should come over here sometime. Oh, that'd I'll be just, great. I'll, I'll, I'll stay in the reading room. <laughs> I'll just lay out a cot. <laughs> any uh, any any final thoughts on Marvel Zombies? Well, the only thing I could offer a fan of the Marvel Universe is if you love these characters you will absolutely eat this book right up it is just it's a zombie fan's dream it's a marvel comics aficionado's dream it's just so well done it's fun and it doesn't take any kind of effort on the part of the reader you strap yourself in with the first issue and it's a wild ride right to the end and it it's it's just extremely extremely well done absolutely i i mm-hmm. I second it. Go buy it. Go get it. Read it. Especially if, um, hopefully, hopefully Dave can listen to this episode because he wasn't able to listen to 3A, so I had to send him gifted. So hopefully he'll be able to at least listen. He may not listen to 3B, but hopefully he's got Marvel Zombies and he can listen to this episode. Yeah, and and I've read it three times now, and I find something new to laugh at or to to you know cringe about every time. Yeah, there's always something new visually in there. You know, every time you flip through it, it took me a while actually to actually uh, get some of the uh, you know, some of the jokes they had in there. Like some of the, I mean, I I can't really uh, put it to words. There's a lot <laughs> of great stuff in here. Yep, and you can buy it at the bazaar. Oh, you're shameless. I am, aren't I? <laughs> and we, uh, even though we, you know, obviously. We're praising Sean Phillips to no end on this book, and and I did mention Criminal earlier. Um, Criminal is something you need to read. We said it last week. We'll continue to say it. I'll say it every week until I'm more than blue in the face. I I implore people to buy to read Criminal. I mean, if you don't want to buy it right now, if you if you're if you're testing the waters, if you're not sure about it, you can go to the forum and go to the link. That says Paper Cuts Criminal Giveaway. And send a PM to Dan and tell him you're interested. You want to read it. He'll send you a copy on his dime. So in the U.S., please. He'll send you a copy. If you don't like it, pass it on to someone else. That's all he asks. But 
you know, this is such a good book that Pat's that that Dan is not the only one doing it. Pat is also has decided to to take it upon himself and tell people about this book. So so Pat, what what, what are you doing to get the word out? What I've done actually with uh, my local shop, I actually pre-ordered ten copies of the book, and uh, what I did, I had. Uh, I had the uh, store owner go through all the uh, all the people who subscribe to any book that Brubaker does, that Brubaker writes, and I had him put a copy in there. And uh, with uh, with the copy of uh, Criminal that they placed in their file, I also included a head sketch from myself. Oh, that's and, great! Uh, that's worth I'm, it. And I'm actually willing to give out like five copies of the book of issue one through through the forum and uh, if they if they pick me up on it they'll also get a free head sketch fantastic well, how can you refuse hell no I told Pat I said I'm already buying it but I'll still take that head sketch <laughs> nice and it's it's coming soon actually so don't oh, worry oh you're the best <laughs> I am Jewish <laughs> yeah, it almost makes me uh, regret ever buying the damn thing I could have got it from Pat I could have got it from Dan and, and and I pre-ordered it, but it's worth every penny. Absolutely, I'm so glad I did because I I would I would hate like hell for the thing to sell out, and and not get my hands on a copy after after reading that first issue. You, and you would hate to have it sell out, but I don't think Ed or Sean would. No, right. But and that's the thing because this is a risky proposition for Margo. Margo, a risky <laughs> the frigs Margo. If because. <laughs> It's. <laughs> I'm so glad I can brighten your evening, B- because it's a risky proposition for Marvel. It's an untested series. We we know Brubaker and Phillips can perform, but because it's under the Icon imprint, it's not exactly money in the bank for Marvel right out of the gate. So it it has to gain some legs, and for this to gain legs, you have to support it. Because if you're sitting back and waiting for the trade. There may never be a trade. Not for this. Yeah. No. And this, and this is something that needs to be read in the singles and the monthlies. I'm enjoying this. It, this is this is a serialized story. Even Ed has said so. He said this is a story that's just designed for this format. Sean has gone on and said that there may not be a trade. So aside from it being under Icon, aside from it being, you know, a, a, a different type of, of setup than Marvel's used to having with their creators, Ed and Sean put a lot on the line to produce this so really i mean you're not aside from you know you can look at it as giving them as doing them a favor but really this book is and and like we said last week it needs to be emphasized again this isn't a pg-13 book this isn't a book you're going to give to your little sister your little brother you know it, it, it's it's not a mature title but it is it is suggested for mature readers um but it's it's man i I hope it does get traded. I hope it does get the huge hardcover oversized edition treatment. But if it doesn't, and it, it stays as a monthly book, as long as it stays as a monthly book, but if it stays as a monthly book, man, I am all on it, and I hope you do too. Right. It, part of me almost wishes that they didn't do a trade so the the, the monthlies would be very successful, but the uh, another part of me wants to get my hands on that original, uh, on that initial trade because when you can read something all in one shot it's a it's a good feeling because i mean i'm 41 if i remember what i ate you know for dinner 
tonight. I'm lucky. <laughs> so I, I always have to, you know, do a little bit of backtracking, a little bit of review before I read the next issue. But you can have it both ways. Support the monthly, and then when they publish the trade, take your, your, your singles and sell them on eBay. Or, or give them to somebody else and get them hooked on it and, and, and do something for the industry. And, and two creators who damn, are damn well worth it. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Hell yeah. And some of the stuff in that first issue, I mean, they're lucky it's a, it's a mature reader's title because if, if uh, they try to pass some of that stuff through the comics code, <laughs> it, it's not going to fly. Which brings me to hey. our next subject, which is the Marvel Monster Group and the, the magazines that were published under that imprint and the horror titles that Marvel published in the early 70s. And when you talk about those books, you can't really get a good idea of what was going on unless you examine the comics code and what it meant back then. So here's a little bit of comics code history for you. It all started off with Frederick Wortham. I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard that name. Notorious, notorious psychiatrist whose uh, methodology hinged on his claim that mass media, what you and I know as pop culture, movies, radio, and especially comic books, had very harmful effects on human psyche, especially children. Uh, his fear-mongering reached a fever pitch in 1954 with the publication of that notorious tome, I hate to even say the name, Seduction of the Innocent. Uh, it was an investigation into the harmful effects of comic books on our nation's children. Now, some of the points he made were valid. I'll give him that. He, uh, he pulled a bunch of panels from EC Comics, very gruesome, very violent panels. And as a parent myself, I have to say, I don't think I would be too happy if that kind of material found its way into my kids' hands. So I'll give him that. But a lot of his arguments were based on conjecture and interpretation. Uh, for example, he, he would pore over this artwork and, and look for subliminal details in the, in the rendering, like he found a female crotch nestled in the shadows of muscles on, on a man, or he would find a vagina in a tree and landscapes, you know, like totally subjective examination of these things. He, he, he thought the team of Batman and Robin, and this is a direct quote, was like a wish dream of two homosexuals living together. Yeah, so he there was a little more than a little bit of an injected uh, agenda into this. He he had a t habit of taking things out of context, but he didn't only have the creators and the publishers of comic books in his sights. He also went after the distributors. He he claimed that they would like strong arm the news agents into selling horror and crime comics as well as less objectionable material. Like, I can imagine uh, a distributor going to a, a newsstand and saying, hey, you want this little Lulu? You know what I mean? You're going to have to take Tales from the Crypt or you're not getting it. Like, I, I don't see that happening. And, and to make matters even worse, excerpts of this book, Seduction of the Innocent, appeared in two of the highest circulated magazines of the time, Reader's Digest and Ladies' Home Journal. Now, can you imagine Grandma Nancy opening up her Reader's Digest and all of a sudden reading that her grandson is being subjected to this material on a regular basis? Of course it caused a frenzy. 
uh, it caused such a stir that they instigated a congressional inquiry into the damaging effects of this material. He, uh, much like what um, Tipper Gore and the PMRC did in the 80s with the music, right. where they, they, they worked all these bored housewives into a frenzy that their children were being subjected to porn rock. This is along the same lines. And uh, it was the Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency. And it made the front page of the New York Times. So talk about hammering the lid on the coffin. <laughs> uh, the, the hearings also featured William Gaines, who, if you did your homework, you'll know that he was the publisher of EC Comics. Right. He had a teaching degree, uh, so he, he was a, a learned man. He knew what he was doing, and he took the stand as an expert witness, and fortunately, the inquiry proved inconclusive, but it did put the fear of leg legislation and censorship and bankruptcy into the publishers, so Gaines got uh, a coalition of publishers together, and they called themselves the Comics Magazine Association of America, which drafted uh, a self-imposed list of guidelines and restrictions that we now know as the Comics Code of Authority. But it bit him on the ass because the imposition of the Comics Code caused him to withdraw from the organization because it basically obliterated the lion's share of his publications. And he refused to submit his publications for review. Now, when you get a, a load of what some of the restrictions were, you could see how damaging it was to his publishing empire. For instance, one of the restrictions was, in every instance, good shall triumph over evil and criminal punished for his misdeeds. Now, if you read the EC comics of the day, they had a very... They didn't glamorize crime, but they didn't go out of their way to demonize it either. So that was a kick in the pants to them. Uh, excessive scenes of violence shall be prohibited. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary knife and gunplay, physical agony, gory and gruesome crime shall be eliminated. Another kick in the pants to Gaines. Now, here, here, this one probably caused him to lose his lunch. No comic magazine shall use the word horror or terror in its title. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, he be, might as well start making little Lulu. Right. Let's be honest. He was a target. His books were the most objectionable ones of the bunch. They, and they were in your face. So he was the, uh, the whipping boy in this uh, instance. Uh, another restriction was all scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. Hi, this is Chad. I'm personal assistant to Mr. Zombie. Please hold for a call from Mr. Zombie. Thank you. Mr. Zombie! Mr. Zombie! Please pick up the phone, Mr. Zombie. Line 5. Just pick up the phone. I'll do it for you. Here. Oh. 
Savory or gruesome illustrations shall be eliminated. They're, they're wiping the slate. They're, they're, they're basically telling Gaines, don't publish what you're publishing. Or we're not going to put the stamp of approval on it. And probably the most debilitating restriction as far as Gaines was concerned was this. Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with The Walking Dead, Torture, Vampires and vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism are prohibited. So, right there, you can take your Vault of Horror, your Tales from the Crypt, uh, and just, you know, shelve them. Because under the CCA, they're not going to be able to be published. So, I can understand Gaines's furor at this, so he pulled out. And, you know, reading these Comics Code guidelines... I don't see how any of the DC books featuring Power Girl could ever be published because there's one that says females shall be drawn realistically without exaggeration of any physical qualities. Wow, there goes Power Girl. (laughs) Yeah. Seduction and rape shall never be shown or suggested. Hmm. What did that, what would that eliminate? Uh, identity crisis. <laughs> there you go. Uh, sex perversion or any inference to same is strictly forbidden. Nudity with meretricious purpose and salacious postures shall not be permitted in the advertising of any product. Clothed figures shall never be presented in such a way as to be offensive or contrary to good taste or morals. Well... Greg Land, sorry, but your your, your your books go against the comics code. Now, when distributors ref- his books go against a lot of codes, <laughs> when distributors refuse to carry his product, he revamped his entire line, and that's the reason why Mad Magazine began as a comic, a standard size color comic, and transformed into a black and white magazine because magazines were exempt from the restrictions of the comics code. Which leads us to Marvel and the formation of their black and white horror line. Now, Marvel published their horror line under the Curtis Magazine's imprint to escape the confines of the Comics Code. Now, they didn't go out of their way to identify the publications as Marvel books. The, the, the standard strip that appeared on the, on the standard side comics, that didn't appear in, the, in the, uh, that wonderful box up in the upper left-hand side with the character and the price, that wasn't there. But if you looked at the covers close enough, 
they did have little characters, like if it was Dracula Lives, there was a little head drawing of Dracula reading a magazine, and inside the magazine it said, The Marvel Monster Group, as well as the Curtis logo. So, And if, if you're doing a little bit of research on Wikipedia, this is where they're wrong. Don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia. The, the covers did bear the Marvel mark, but it wasn't the, the usual Marvel markings. It, they, they were identified as Marvel books. So that's where they uh, stumbled a little bit. Now, the restrictions of the Comics Code were relaxed a bit in 1971. So Marvel could use werewolves, zombies, vampires, and this resulted in a huge resurgence of horror comics. Now, everybody who knows Stan uh, is well aware that he's not one to ignore the possibility of profit. So he and Roy Thomas quickly rushed a number of uh, reprint books. They took old, uh, timely horror stories, the pre-code horror stories that they couldn't publish under the, the Comics Code, and they just reprinted them in, in, a, in a bunch of new magazines and, and comics. And, and they also swamped the newsstand with a, a boatload of new horror titles and characters. And it all started off in 1971 with Savage Tales, which featured, among other things, the Origin of the Man Thing by Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, and Gray Morrow. Now, I know we don't mention the Man Thing much on our show, but. <laughs> and, and. In, ever. Right. In retrospect, Savage Tales 1 didn't do all that great for Marvel. It, it sold fairly well, but it, it wasn't a runaway success, which is why, as far as the magazines go, they waited till 1973 to give it another shot. But. In the standard-sized comics, there was a huge push for horror-themed books. Um, Marvel Spotlight featured Werewolf by Night in 1971, Ghost Rider the same year, and Son of Satan in 1973. What movie came out in 1973? Hugely successful worldwide box office champ. Jaws? Nope. Come on, The Exorcist. So Stan probably took a uh, sat back and looked at the money that this film was making and said, "You know what? We got to push the horror," and that's exactly what they did. In the Fear anthology that began in 1970, began featuring new material in 1972, showcasing uh, Man Thing in number ten by Jerry Conway, Howard Shaken, Gray Morrow, uh, in the number eleven. The main man himself took over, Steve Gerber, got his hands on the man thing and just totally ran with the character. Uh, Fear uh, number 11 was drawn by Rich Buckler. Later on, Jim Starlin took over and Val Merrick, who defined the look of a certain waterfowl we're all familiar with, uh, Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck showed up in Man Thing first. That's where uh, his or and later on. Uh, Morbius the Living Vampire took over. So there's you had um, horror characters all over the place. Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, Tomb of Dracula in 72. Howard the Duck began in 72. And in 73, that's when it reached a fever pitch. They Marvel. I don't think Marvel published as many magazines in their entire publishing uh, history as they did in 1973. It seemed that way to me. The Tales of the Zombie... Monsters Unleashed, 
um, Haunt of Horror began in 1973, which started off as a digest-sized prose anthology. Have you ever seen those? There was two issues, and it was basically the same format as Isaac Asimov's science fiction magazine, where you'd have long text pieces, maybe illustrated, maybe not. But uh, they had the, the, the Marvel artists of the time uh, do spot illustrations for these text pieces, but I guess it wasn't successful because it was transformed into uh, a regular magazine in, in 74. And also in 73, it had Dracula Lives. And the magazine, the comics magazine, sorry, uh, nearest and dearest to my heart, saw the light of day in 1974. Man-Thing jumped from uh, fear into his own book. And... Uh, I was never the same. I, I, I can't can't speak for anybody else. Uh, the thing the things I would do to get my hands on on these Marvel horror comics was, uh, I mean, we would sit outside on summer afternoons and trade comics, and the horror books for some reason were always ones that you kind of threw in at the end of the trade to sweeten the pot. For, you know, you know, for everybody else but me, uh, I was the sucker. So my friends thought that just I ate the horror stuff up and I would trade, you know, books from the guys down the street for horror comics from Marvel in a second. It was just something that was a no brainer for me. And um, I would go to great lengths to get these things. I don't know if you guys remember, but have you ever seen comic book ads for Grit? Yes. America's, America's Finest Newspaper? Um, I sold grit. I, I, I don't know anybody who's ever read one. I was a grit salesman. Okay. And I, I had like, say, 30 or 40 people on my route, and I would get a nickel apiece for these things. That was my profit. So at the end of my route was a newsstand. So after peddling my papers once a week, I would take all my profits and stop at the newsstand and blow it all on comic books. And usually, more often than not, it was the Marvel horror books. And, you know, talk about traumatic. I, there was always these, you know, rough, I don't want to say ruffians, because that's from a generation that I'm not. But, you know, these just punks that would hang out at the newsstand. And every time I'd come, they'd say, oh, here's the JIT man. The JIT man's here. So for, for years and years, I, I was known as the JIT man for Marvel Comics. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, well, yeah. You didn't live it, buddy. Um, <laughs> well, Dracula Lives, as I said, premiered in 1973. And the thing with the Marvel magazines is, although there's a fair amount of them, they only lasted three, no, two years. They began in 1973, and the majority of them were canceled in 75. Dracula Lives ran for 13 issues in one annual. And if, thanks to the essentials, uh, current fans can go back and, and, and pick these up for a fraction of what they would sell for on eBay. The, the Marvel magazines go for a pretty penny these days. Not as much as books like, say, Sp Amazing Spider-Man from the time, but they're getting there. They're, they're, they're starting to command a nice uh, price. But if you partake in the essentials, you can get a whole hell of a lot of reading for a, a measly sixteen ninety nine, and it's even better if you know you get them through DCBS or your local comic shop offers a discount. Yeah, and uh, the two volumes that I want to touch on tonight are the Essential Tales of the Zombie 
and the essential Marvel horror. These things are littered with text pieces by Chris Claremont. That was one of the things that didn't register with me back in the day. I would never read the text pieces because I bought the things for the comics. Why do I want to read this text, you know? But the majority of them were written by Claremont. He did a long essay on The Exorcist in um, Tales of the Zombie and, and Haunt of Horror. And so that's where... Claremont cut his teeth, I would think, because when when did Claremont take over uh, Uncanny? After uh, was it around one hundred? After it was after one hundred. Was, wasn't Len Wayne writing ninety seven, ninety eight? Yeah. What was the year for one hundred? Oh, I want to say like seventy eight, seventy nine, maybe. Yeah. So you know, basically, this is a young Claremont learning the ropes at Marvel on these text pieces. And if anybody wants to see these covers that I'm about to talk about, you can head on over to our forum at bullpens bullpen bullpens podcast.com. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> good good old Pat saves me from ruin. That's right. And I put up a, a number of JPEGs in a thread called which will be called by the time this episode airs, Episode 7 Discuss. So look for that thread and you'll be able to see these gorgeous co- covers in full color. They're They're amazing pieces of art. Oh, I love those Boris ones and, and, yeah. and the Grey Morrow. And speaking of Boris, that first issue of Dracula Lives, that Boris Vallejo cover, that creeped me out as a kid to the point where that cover gave me nightmares. It's the uh, it's got Dracula's head on a bat a, a bat body, and there's these this collection of creeps underneath, and it's all basically done in browns and sepia tones, and it's just. It's devastating. And I'll tell you, I've never seen Vallejo's work that accomplished. He's The stuff he's doing today is totally lost on me. But back in the 70s, the man was a master. You like that cover? It's amazing. It really yeah. is. It's really good. But just the expression on Dracula's face, that as a kid, oh my God, it was devastating. And I had to have it. I saw that on the... Uh, on the newsstand, and I was a big fan of the Warren books too, like Creepy and Eerie. And I had to sneak Vamprella into the house because if my mother ever caught me with it. <laughs> but uh, so I was I was in the groove as far as the horror stuff went. And when Marvel started publishing these things, it was like it was Christmas once a month. And so Dracula Lives number one had work by Jerry Conway, Gene Colan, Tom Palmer. Roy Thomas, Russ Heath, and Steve Gerber. Now, there's a name I don't, I don't bring up too much. No, never. Um, another issue that really floored me at the time was issue number three. There was a Dracula story in that by Marv Wolfman and John Basima. And I, I was used to seeing John's work in the color comics, which were approved by the Comics Code, so you didn't have any nasty business in there. But this story which is reprinted in the Essential Tomb of Dracula, Volume 4, that volume that raised a furor a couple weeks back because Marvel tinkered with the art a little bit. Right. Yeah, they, they kind of censored a lot of the, uh, the nudity and the more salacious drawings in it because the Tomb of Dracula Essentials weren't tagged as a mature reader's book. And naturally, the Marvel Magazine stuff was. So in order to keep that... Tomb of Dracula series under the same all-ages banner. They went in and they tinkered with the art a little bit. And I know we've talked about it on the forums, but I think they should have left the stuff out 
before tampering with it. I would think. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. What What do you think, Pat? Yeah, I, I don't think they should have tampered with it at all. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather that they didn't reprint it, or maybe they could have reprinted it and sell it to, a, to an older audience. Right. And when you read the stuff, it really has no connection to the stuff Wolfman and Colin were doing in Tomb of Dracula. It, it, it does, because naturally it's, it's the same character, but as far as the events, it jumps around. I mean, it goes from the 1400s to the 1600s, so it's, it's, it's not chronological with their series. So I don't understand the logic in, in, in reprinting that stuff with the Tomb of Dracula books, but it's their property. They do what they want with it. But I would have published it in a separate volume. And um, this story uh, featuring Dracula shortly after his wife was killed uh, he fights Nimrod, King of the Vampires, and Nimrod has this gypsy girl that, you know, is is uh, one of his mistresses, and she puts the moves on Dracula, and there was Basima nudity in it, and as a Ooh. as a kid seeing John Basima draw a naked woman, I was floored. I was like, oh my god, you know, that one didn't leave the bedside for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> and. The cover to that one, which you can also see on the forum, is, in my opinion, Neil Adams' finest hour. It's the one where Dracula's holding the woman, and he's on the, the top of uh, the, the parapet, and there's a gargoyle underneath him. Yeah. It, that, just look at the, the depth in that thing, and the, uh, the composition, and just the way he, he, he painted the atmosphere in the background. It's a, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous cover. They should make a uh, an art book with all the co- all the original covers from these magazines. They really should. Oh yeah, they should. That'd be a nice hardcover. Yeah. Yes. And unlike the Warren magazines, which towards the end of their lifespan started to just put anything and everything on the cover, they'd they'd reuse old old Ken Kelly illustrations and Frazetta. The Marvel books never faltered with the covers. The covers were always solid. Now, number seven. Of Dracula Lives had a, an absolutely gorgeous Jerry Conway Vicente Alcazar collaboration called Here Comes the Death Man, and that is also in the Essential Tomb of Dracula Volume Four, along with work from Sonny Trinidad, who is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated illustrators ever. This this, this guy stuff is just it it's so beautiful it'll make your eyes bleed. It, Pat, have you ever seen Sonny Trinidad's work? Unfortunately, I have not. Oh, pick up, pick up the the the, the essential Tomb of Dracula volume four. Great stuff, and you got some Mike Plug in there too. And you oh, can't, you awesome. can't, yeah, you can't go wrong with Mike Plug. No, you can't. And my favorite of the Marvel magazines was Monsters Unleashed, which also ran from seventy three to seventy five. But unlike Dracula Lives, which I think benefited from the popularity of the color comic. That lasted two issues longer. Uh, Monsters Unleashed only lasted 11 issues and one annual, which is sad because, in my opinion, contained the strongest work of the bunch. Number one features a Roy Thomas and Pablo Marcos, who, if you were reading the the Marvel magazines at the time, Pablo Marcos was everywhere. He, uh, they adapted Robert Bloch's or Robert Block's The Man Who Cried Werewolf. That's what you see on the cover of the next image in the forum. That beautiful Gray Morrow illustration with the wolfman stalking the the female who's 
press herself up to the tree. That the, the light in that in that uh, painting is unbelievable. Just gorgeous stuff. And Gray Morrow later went on to do Space 1999 for uh, Charlton Comics. Oddly enough, it was published in magazine format too. So he pretty much uh, stuck to the same um, like the format type of work. Yeah, which brings me to my favorite cover of all time. If 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 I were to die, I would hope that my wife would have the sense to put this magazine in the casket <laughs> with me. With Monsters Unleashed number three, that's a Neil Adams cover. No oh, kidding. That yep. was by him. Mm-hmm. Wow. I kind of see it in the female and in and in man things posturing. Yeah, uh, I I don't think anyone has ever rendered the man thing so large. I mean, look at the scale of that thing in comparison yeah. with the guys. His, his hands are huge, yeah. and just the 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 vacant stare in the man thing's eyes, and he's all hunched over. That that's a a, a fantastic illustration, and the our local comic shop, the owner has that as his uh, desktop on his PC. Nice. So I'm not the only wacko that likes this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That issue number three reprinted the um, Man-Thing origin from Savage Tales number one, and that was another thing that Stan and Roy Thomas would do with these Marvel magazines. They would take all the pre-code horror tales that Timely had in the vaults, and they'd recycle them for the magazine. So you'd get maybe, uh, say, 60% new material peppered with all this old stuff, which hadn't been seen for 20 years, probably, at the time. So as far as readers were concerned, it was all new stuff. Uh, Issue number five, which is the next image in that thread, uh, you know, it's a decent enough cover by Bob Larkin, but when you compare it to the Neil Adams one above it, it kind of suffers a bit. Sure. It's a little too slick for the man thing. Right. As I said, the cover's by Bob Larkin, and if you also picked up Savage Sword of Conan at the time, he later went on to do a really nice string of covers for that magazine. But this issue contains a beautifully illustrated man thing tale by Vicente Alcazar again, written by Tony Isabella. And this particular issue, I own three copies of this. Because on the inside cover, on the inside front and back cover, they had a Man-Thing poster. So the only way to, dis- to display the poster was to separate the cover from the magazine, thus ruining the magazine. So back in the day, I bought three of those suckers. Because <laughs> uh, there, was, there was never a day that I didn't wake up to, to the, the, the beautiful face of the Man-Thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm telling you, it's getting to be... Uh, a little bit creepy now. <laughs> now? <laughs> yeah. And next up is Vampire Tales, which, again, only lasted two years, uh, 11 issues in an annual. And this Vampire Tales contained the least amount of reprints because it was the Morbius showcase series. And Mor- oh, yes. yeah, Morbius was fairly popular at the time. Now, the second issue contains a Morbius story by Don McGregor, who later went on to do Saber. And uh, it was drawn by Rich Buckler. Uh, second issue uh, contains a short Satana story by Roy Thomas and John Romita. And it's really short. It's only four pages long. But if you're even considering getting into comic books as a writer or an illustrator, 
buy the Essential Marvel Horror because it's reprinted in there. It is an absolutely brilliant. It is an absolutely brilliantly executed comic. Uh, like I said, four pages, but the way Ramita moves the camera around and plays with the the the, uh, the, the sequential art form, it's just it's fantastic. So that alone is worth the price of the Essential Marvel Horror book. Issue three uh, has another Boris Vallejo cover. There's a Tom Sutton Morbius tale on that one. And uh, Tom Sutton, in my opinion, is a master of the form. Uh, you can't talk horror without Tom Sutton. One of the creepiest, most disturbing artists in the game. And if you ever can find the interview in the comics journal that he did, he was a, a very disturbed man as well. But uh, it, it showed in his work. Now, number 10, which is up on the forum... That cover is by Richard Hescox. And maybe I haven't been around too much, but I don't remember Richard Hescox ever doing... I'm not familiar with him either. No. Yeah, but... but that's an amazing piece of art right there. With yeah. Look at, look at the color in that thing. The, the, the palette is unbelievable. The blues and the oranges and the, 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 the purples. I mean, you, you, can, you can tell what time of day it is in that thing. And it's just, it's a staggering uh, cover. And like Morbius came from the Fear comic, the uh, standard size color comic and jumped. Yeah, I ventured to Fear. Yeah. Yeah, I was I, I was actually kind of shocked that they had you know they were featuring Morbius quite a bit back then like back in the that, I think the that ran during like 1970 or something like that and I got into the character because uh, I picked up his ongoing series in the early 90s and I wanted to look up uh, Morbius a little more and I got into his Adventure into Fear series and I thought wow. <laughs> I never, I never thought they would feature a character like that. Like, you know, like he, he was introduced as a Spider-Man villain, and he was treated as a horror character. Mm-hmm. But like most Spider-Man villains, he had that sympathetic edge to him. You kind, you kind of felt bad for him because he needed the blood to to survive. But uh-huh. he, he, I think he handled it pretty well. He, he wasn't a a mass murderer like Dracula. Right. That's yeah. true. So uh, there was something very admirable about Morbius. The thing that's sad about the Morbius character is that whenever uh, his character evolves, or you know, or I mean, his '90s series brought him to that point where he's actually sort of an anti-hero over being a villain. So they they kind of just revert him back into being you know the guy Spider-Man always fights after. Uh, after they put a decent amount of development into its character. Yeah, that's the thing that turned me off on that series, too. They, they, they lost the thing that was the most likable of the character, and just, you're right, they, they uh, demoted him back to uh, your standard vampire villain. I know, which is, it's sad, because the character really has a lot of potential, and you know, he's a very cool character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unlike Mr. Simon Garth who started out bad and just went downhill from there. Uh, he was the title character of the Tales of the Zombie magazine, which ran for 10 issues and an annual. And to illustrate how thrifty Stan and Roy Thomas were at the time, the whole Tales of the Zombie series was based on a pre-code Atlas story written by Stan Lee and drawn by Bill Everett. 
in July 19, from from 1953. Right. So Stan searched the vaults for a horror story that they could capitalize and transform into a whole series. And again, it didn't cost them a penny. And Stan's Jewish too. Yeah. Uh, so what they did was they commissioned Steve Gerber and John Basema to write a origin story for Simon Garth and they put the old reprint in between it so the reprint tells you what happens after Steve Gerber's story like uh, as all as an all good horror series uh, Tales of the Zombie was set in Louisiana Bayou so you have the creepiness built in and uh, Simon Garth was a coffee magnate and was not a nice guy. He was self-centered, boorish, unfeeling. He was a workaholic, like I said, generally unlikable. And he catches his gardener eyeing up his daughter, Lori. She's skinny dipping in the, in the pool. And the, the, this greasy uh, gardener, his name was Gyps. He's, he's staring at the daughter. So that doesn't uh, sit too well with old Simon. So he fires him. And the gardener later comes back and smashes him upside the head with a wine bottle, throws him in the back of his car, and sells him to a voodoo cult <laughs> to use as a human sacrifice. Nice. So there was this cult that worshipped this, this snake god, Dambala, the most powerful of the, uh, the Loa. And uh, Loa are like uh, spirits of the voodoo religion. They're angels and saints akin to that. So uh, Simon Garth is strapped to an altar, and he's seconds away from death, and this, this voodoo queen's about to, to, to stab him, and she looks down at him, and it's his secretary. So <laughs> talk about coincidence. Uh, she plays it up, you know, and instead of stabbing him, she cuts his bonds. So he runs off into the swamp, but it doesn't really matter because he's ultimately killed at the hands of his uh, ex-gardener, and he threatens... Um, his secretary, her, her name was Layla, to to perform the zombie ritual on him. So that's where you get the whole transforming Simon Garth into a zombie. But there's a cool little twist on it. Uh, when when he when they reanimate his corpse, he freaks out. He starts attacking anybody within arm's reach. So they they put this amulet around his neck, and the thing was. There was a matching amulet, so whoever holds the matching amulet can control the zombie. And Steve Gerber took that and transformed it into a whole series of stories. And like Man-Thing, the zombie wasn't the important part of the series. It was everything that was going on around him. So uh, he crosses paths with a whole bunch of characters. Dracula, he shows up in Dracula Lives Number 2, only for one panel, but... (laughs) You know that that was that was Stan's way of promoting his stuff. Like, here's the zombie. Go buy his magazine. It was little one of those little editorial blurbs that they used to do back then, which we're sorely missing today. Yes, there was a, a legless voodoo priest who could levitate named Papa Shorty. Who <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm 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 not making this up. This is good stuff. Uh, and all of these stories are reprinted in the Essential Tales of the Zombie. Well worth your time and effort to get that. Uh, this this guy could, could levitate uh, and also hooked up with Simon Garth's ex-wife. So it's th- there's you know connections to this all over the place. But th- the most disturbing was uh, Philip Bliss. This was a guy who was he was a once brilliant chemist. 
and his wife divorced him and he lost everything in the in the divorce proceeding so he's got this pathological hatred of lawyers and you know he's stumbling down the street one day and finds the amulet so he he now controls the zombie so he uses the the zombie to destroy the courtroom housing his ex-wife and her crime boss boyfriend but in typical gerber fashion this character is eventually killed by the zombie the amulet gets in the hands of someone else and they order him to kill bliss so like that's the thing about this whole series where simon garth living was an unfeeling workaholic he didn't have any time for anything other than work his daughter would throw herself at him you know looking for love and simon didn't want any pro- any any part of it and now that he's a zombie he's incapable of feeling He's just going through life, shambling through whatever situations and managed to, to cross his path, and there's poetic justice for you. And that's what Gerber does well. He, 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 he's really inventive with uh, characters and situations, and uh, if you can get your hands on this Tales of the Zombie essential, they're, they're fantastic stories. I'd even go as far as to say that the horror stuff of the time was far better than the superhero stuff. And that's saying a lot. When you look at Marvel from, like, say, 71 to 73, there was a lot of good stuff going on. But for some reason... Now, I will say, though, the horror stuff is really strange. It's comparable to Vertigo, some of the the stuff that goes on. Uh, There's a lot of cosmic things. Not your typical Marvel books of the time. He threatened if I did not kneel to his power that I would suffer. I must slay him. Gustav, lay my wife to rest. I have work that must be done. I go to kill the demon. Castle Dracula was unguarded, for there were none in the village below who would have dared venture towards it save I. And so, making my entrance to the queen's underground chambers was done with ease. You sleep in comfort, do you, Dracula? And sleep tightly, dark beast, for you shall never waken again. He never screamed as the wooden stake stabbed through his heart. But his scream lasted only one short, breathed moment. For in an instant, there were only ashes where flesh had once been. I threw his coffin in the cold, Danube waters below. I thought revenge had been mine. Then I heard a muffled sound, a cry, and heaven help my foolish curiosity, I turned to its source. There was a door sealed with a wooden beam, and idiot that I was, I opened it to find a girl. Who are you, lass, and why are you imprisoned in this living hell? I am called Lydia, sir, and it was Dracula who placed me here. Damn devil! How long have you been here, girl? One month, sir. And kept alive only as long as my blood pleased him. Live in fear no longer, Lydia. The fiend is dead. We walked beneath the moon and I talked. But my conversation was the last thing she cared about. For as the full silver moon loomed above us, I heard a fierce, slavering growl. A wail from a being, neither human nor animal. And when I turned towards it, I saw the face of my death. Her claws glistened in the moonlight, but it was her eyes that transfixed 
and paralyzed me as my murderer sank her fangs into my neck. And from that moment on, I was cursed. And for the next two nights, beneath the rising full moon, I became a mindless, rampaging werewolf. There's more to read, but not now. But why did Dracula keep a werewolf locked away? What could he fear from it? The diary said Dracula could not control the beast as he was able to control others. That there was something about her that made her impervious to his commands. Which probably means that Dracula's command won't affect me. And that I'll be the one who'll be able to stop him. Maybe that's it, Topaz. Maybe if I can defeat Dracula, the curse of the werewolf will be broken. You must be careful, Jack. Dracula is very powerful. Looks like I'm going to have company tonight. Unexpected company. <laughs> I see those two young fools from Rose of Manor wish to enter my castle. Good. <laughs> Very good indeed. Dracula leaps from the tower roof and flies once again as the raven wings back. Topaz, run! It's Dracula attacking! But before the girl can move... Topaz! He's taken him. I'll find you, Topaz! Then I swear... As Jack Russell scales the peak to Castle Dracula, he is bathed in the light of the full moon, and Jack Russell once again becomes the werewolf. However, inside the castle... My dear young lady, welcome to my castle. I hope you will enjoy my hospitality. Suddenly, he hears the harsh, guttural growling of the werewolf. What? A beast attacks here in my castle? Now he shall finally perish. The battle begins. Dracula commands the beast to stop, to halt. But this is a new breed of beast. It attacks. Dracula's orders affect it not, for the werewolf bites its ivory fangs deeper and deeper into Dracula's neck. Until Dracula turns, his face burning with bloodthirsty rage, and leaps at the werewolf's throat. Back and forth they ride in deadly combat. And soon it's obvious. Neither can win, but neither will lose. Fight well, werewolf. Take the girl and go, and pray that we never meet again. For the next time, I will not be so kind. Until the next time. <laughs> With that, the bat that once was Dracula rises into the night, and the curse of the werewolf remains bloodied, but unbroken. And there's a little bit of sexiness in there, too, because uh, Layla, the secretary I mentioned, she runs around in nothing more than a, an open uh, vest on top. So she's got, you know, cleavage to spare. Well, there's Vince's seal of approval. <laughs> you betcha. And talk about a lineup. Listen to this. Some of the writers that worked on this, these things were Steve Gerber, Tony Isabella, Doug Munch, but where they really excelled was in the art department. Pablo Marcos, Tom Sutton, Alfredo Alcala, John Basima. It doesn't get too much better than John Basima. Ernie Chan, Russ Heath, Vicente Alcazar, Gene Colan. Uh, the, the Tales of the Zombie book contains Colan's take on Brother Voodoo, which is incredible. Nice. Yeah, and oddly enough, you'd never see this today. The, the, the first part of the story appeared in Strange Tales 173 which we all know was a standard four-color comic. But the end of the story jumped into the Tales of the Zombie magazine. So 
which I think pushed it a little bit because you had what the first part of the story was actually accessible by kids and now they had to read this mature magazine to get this, the second half of the story. So, I mean, that was a really bold move on Marvel's part at the time, but I don't think Pop, uh, Brother Voodoo was a character that should have been in the uh, color comics. He's more along the lines of what was going on in the black and white books. Which brings us to the essential Marvel horror book. And the real star of this show is Steve Gerber, um, as of course. This is another thing that you would never see uh, today. The story of Son of Satan didn't actually begin in a Son of Satan magazine proper or in Marvel Spotlight. It actually began in Ghost Rider number one. Wow. Yeah, and it continued in Ghost Rider two, and then it it jumped into Marvel Spotlight. So today, I mean, fans would be up in arms if a story began in, say, Captain America and and ended in you know, a, you know, Amazing Spider Man. You just don't see that often. And for, you know, I think it's a neat way to, to cross-pollinate your readership. Are you familiar with the character of uh, Damon Hellstrom? Yes, I am. There you go. Uh, one, one of my favorite characters. I, I always liked the character. Even, the last time I actually really got into his character was when uh, he appeared in his own ongoing series in the late mid-90s uh, with uh, Warren Ellis writing it. Oh, the Hellstrom series, yeah. Yes. Nice. Which is a lot different than this early stuff. It, yeah, it, I, I would think so. Yeah, it actually started off kind of goofy under Gary Friedrich. The first part of the saga of Son of Satan was written by Gary Friedrich, naturally ghostwriter number one, and it was drawn by the late, great Tom Sutton, who we mentioned before. And it, to set it up, Linda Littletree was the daughter of that crazy witch doctor, Snakebite, who tried to get at Ghost Rider in the in the in the Marvel Spotlight series and so she's comatose after Satan occupied her body as most women would be after Satan occupied their body um, <laughs> so her boyfriend Sam Silvercloud stumbles upon Damon Hellstrom's listing in the classified ads because I mean if you're looking for an exorcist and a demonologist that's where you look right the classified oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. so uh, Damon Hellstrom agrees to help, so he flies out to to help this this woman. Meanwhile, Satan repossess, repossesses her, and she heads out after Johnny Blaze. So there, those two are fighting, and they're attacked by a biker gang named Big Daddy Dawson and his ruthless riders. <laughs> See, I, I told you, it's it's kind of goofy, and um, so in order to escape the gang, Satan who's now in the body of this woman, teleports himself and Ghost Rider into hell. And that's where Hellstrom comes in. Uh, as son of Satan, he tracks this woman down, takes makes short work of Big Daddy and his boys, of course, and he learns from uh, Blaze's girlfriend, Roxanne, that the his father has retreated into hell. So naturally, he follows. And the whole thing, when you think about it, it doesn't really make any sense that Satan would fear his demise. I mean, if you're Satan, you're not going to worry about if you're going to be alive or dead. So what he did was he took human form, came up to the surface, and fathered two children, Damon and his sister Satana. And the wife one day 
stumbles upon Satan in the basement with their daughter, and he's teaching her how to sacrifice a cat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so she goes, she she goes crazy. So I told you, Friedrich, he he's hit or miss. He um, invented the whole netheranium uh, trident. Now, netheranium is an element which is is I'm not kidding is is deadly to Satan, but he has all the people in hell mining it. So I don't know. Figure that out. The the Marvel offices must have been crazy in the early seventies. They were probably so busy because if if when you read Ghostwriter number one, there's a little editorial blurb uh, explaining a past event, and it says to see last issue. Ghostwriter number one, right? Which which they they, <laughs> they they meant Marvel Spotlight number eleven, but. Probably, you know, they were they were under the gun so much that they just winged it. And uh, the biker gang, they all wear swastikas, uh, and some of them are backwards. You know how an uninformed person will draw the swastika backwards. Right. So, you know, you can't fault them for that, I guess. But but uh, Steve Gerber did a lot better work with the character. He he eliminated the whole netheranium thing and he, he, he changed it to a psychosensitive element unknown to man, which sounds a lot better than netheranium. Yes, it does. And um, and Gary Friedrich was very heavy-handed with the whole duality thing with uh, Damon Hellstrom. Like, during the day, he was a priest, but at night, he would transform into the scion of Satan and uh, Gerber eliminated that whole thing because when you think about it the whole night day thing is a little bit too much like uh, Ghost Rider which was uh, popular at the time and uh, Jack Russell in um, Werewolf by Night the whole night day thing so it's kind of cliche when you think about it so Gerber just took that away and enabled Hellstrom to transform to his uh, satanic side whenever he wanted he would just hold up the sign of the trident which was nothing more than three fingers and uh, transform into son of Satan in Gerber's first issue which was Marvel Spotlight 14 he introduced Dr. Catherine Reynolds, the head of a parapsychological division at Gateway University. So that's how Damon Hellstrom becomes this demonologist for hire. He he gets into a bunch of different situations based on his position at the the uh, the university. Dr. Reynolds asks for Hellstrom's help in dissolving a band of Satanists on campus. Eventually, uh, running into Ichthalon, the Lord of Boris, who is the keeper of the icy wastes, and uh, he champions the forces of stagnation and non-growth. So, as you can see, Gerber infused the series with a number of concepts, uh, both religious and cosmic. Like in um, Spotlight 16, there's a negative virgin version of Michelangelo's creation of Adam with uh, Damon in the role of Adam and Satan as God the Father. Uh, so, you know, there's again, with Gerber stuff, there's a, um, a lot more going on than meets the eye. Hellstrom can also channel his soul fire through the trident, which enables him to fly. He can uh, travel through time with his, his uh, soul fire in uh, spotlight number 16. He travels back in time to ancient Atlantis, seeking information on how to defeat uh, 
Archimedes, which is this giant fiery serpent that has taken up uh, residence in the stars and heralds great cataclysm on Earth. So he he's playing with the, you know, the ancient belief that um, comets are the harbingers of doom. So Gerber's on the money. Uh, he always you know infuses his stories with a lot more than what meets the eye. But uh, at the time of its original publication. Uh, the series lacked coherency because the art teams kept changing around. You had uh, Jim Mooney and uh, Herb Trimpey. It seemed like there was a different artist on the book every couple of issues. So uh, it, looked like it appeared that they were struggling for the right uh, team, but never actually found it. But uh, in looking back on it now, it does present a nice cross-section of the uh, talent that was uh, available at Marvel at the time, so it's kind of neat. It's it's a lot of fun. I don't want to ruin it because uh, Gerber's stories are very cutting-edge. Um, he does a lot of things you would expect to see today, which says a lot about him being very much uh, before his time. He doesn't talk down to the reader, and like like Marvel Zombies, it's very inventive and and very very good. Even though a lot of it's drawn by Jim Mooney, it's actually good Jim Mooney art. Oh my god! Yeah, so that's the thing. I think Mooney Mooney was not a very good inker, but uh, a very talented penciler. So okay. yeah, essential horror. Pick it up. It has Ghost Rider one and two. Marvel Spotlight twelve to twenty four, Son of Satan one to eight. There's a lot of there's a lot of bang for your buck here. Can't beat it. Sixteen ninety nine. Go get it. Where can I get it from? You can get it from DCBS if you want. <laughs> Bastard. Or uh, or you can get it from the uh, Bullpen Bulletin's Bazaar. We, we yeah. Now you're talking. Yeah. See, I, I'm not a, I'm not a salesman, man. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's well worth the money, and it includes the Satana stories from Haunt of Horror and Vampire Tales that we uh, mentioned before. Now, I still think that uh, Satana was Marvel's answer to Vampirella, but we'll let you be the, the judge of that. And it also contains Marvel Preview Number 7 by Claremont and Alcazar, and I think it's one of the most beautifully rendered stories from the period. It's just, it's fantastic. Is fantastical. There you go. Yeah. That's what I was waiting for. And if that wasn't enough, the volume also includes a page from Son of Satan number eight that was rejected by the Comics Code. Yeah. It uh, it shows Hellstrom wearing a crown of thorns and nailed to a crucifix. And if you remember the uh, brouhaha that Rick Veach raised at DC when he wanted to have Swamp Thing transform into the wood from Christ's cross. This is kind of along the same lines, but uh, they were a little bit more wary of the comics code back then, so they buckled down, they buckled under and uh, removed the page. But you can see it here. It's in this volume. So that's my part. I got nothing else. I'm spent. And if any... Any of this stuff interested you at all, or you have a comment on it, or just something to say about the show in general, or yeah, this episode, any past episode, anything you want to actually, uh, want you to give us an idea as to what you might be interested in hearing. 
I need buzz line messages. I really do. That's uh, what we're trying to get across. Usually, we'll get like three or four a week. This week, I don't know. People must have been sleeping because I, I think we only got one. Uh, call the buzz line. Tell us your, your your feelings on things or your opinions or just be as obscene as you want. Sing a song. I don't care. I just want to hear from you guys. So you can call our buzz line at one eight eight eight. Six five four two two seven eight. Uh when prompted, enter the code two eight five seven three six two eight five five. Our pin number is five 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 five. And when you're done, press two to save it. And it'll you gotta save it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, That's Pat. That's very important. <laughs> Must save. And uh, it'll it'll drop itself into our little inbox, and we'll put you on the show, and you can impress your mom or your grandma or your girlfriend. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's definitely can, a winner right there. <laughs> and well, you can uh, impress me. <laughs> that's right. Call in and impress Pat. Yes. Tell us how much you like to hear Pat, and if we get enough responses, you know, maybe we'll do a little bit of shuffling around with the hosts on this show. <laughs> Are you leaving Vince? Uh, and I don't plan on it, no. Okay, good. Just checking. <laughs> so if you missed any of those numbers, um, go to our homepage, bullpenbulletinspodcast.com. We have a little spidey phone in the right-hand side, and all the numbers are right there for you. Can't miss it. There is actually a poll going on, too, right under that phone, asking if you want to see Marvel back in the Marvel Universe. Stop by and vote. Please vote no. <laughs> Yes, or please vote hell no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you look, we have one person that voted yes. No, who did that? Because that's that's new. Because I checked like an hour ago. Uh, who the hell? No. Who the hell was that? I, no idea. I don't know. I'm I'm scared, Pat. I'm scared they're going to bring him back. Uh, well, they actually, you know, there was a clue. Joe Casada had mentioned a few days back that this character has been. He's been active in the Marvel Universe in the past few years, so unless you call Marvel active, <laughs> now that he's in Marvel Zombies, that's, that's not. <laughs> I don't think that counts. <laughs> I'm just saying, he's yeah. been around. He's are they going to bring a? Are they going to bring Zombie Marvel back then? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah. that's the turn. <laughs> well, whatever. It's probably a ruse, and it's a well-played ruse because nothing works better than. Whipping everybody up into a frenzy and then pulling the old switcheroo on them in the last minute—that that works yeah. really well. You guys remember uh, when the Astonishing X-Men was coming out monthly? They did a—they released wallpaper in the Marvel.com, and there's a wallpaper of the Phoenix coming back from the dead by John Casty, and then turns out she didn't come back in Astonishing X-Men. It was someone else. Right. That you guys, but you guys already covered that. Because Casada has a little bit of Stan Lee in him. Yeah, yeah, he's a good salesman. I like yep. that. Yeah, not, it's not bait and switch, but it's it 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 gets you it gets you scratching your head. Yep. Yeah, it yeah, especially now it's really a lot tougher to keep secrets in your in your books and your projects. Oh yeah. The internet and previews. And what does that say about the characters this company has and their fans that they get? I mean, we're we're, we're rabid over the fact that. We think they might be considering bringing Marvel back. This is a character that was. This is, this is a fictitious character, and we're getting all bent out of shape over this. How great is that? Yep. Yep. 
hey, hey, maybe they'll they'll create a, a, a Captain Marvel Jr. Nah, that, that hey, nah, that, that sounds that, so corny. That's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so bad. I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> it could, could be worse. Could be you know Superboy Prime related. So that about wraps it up for uh, yes, it <laughs> for this episode of uh, Bullpen Bulletins. Uh, come back next time. Good night, all. Good night. Good night.